You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Well, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. Adam Johnson. Adam. You know, Adam's missing, right? Right, kids aren't coming to school. It happens all the time. I don't know if you're paying attention to roll call, but he's not the only one that's gone. You're nuts. This is my son, Charlie, and his girlfriend. Hi. So Jerry is our new neighbor. Hey. Hey. Now listen to me. We dropped up all the disappearances. That's you right there in the center next to his house. I really hate to be the one to tell you this, but that guy, your neighbor? Jerry. Yeah, he's a vampire. <laughs> that is a terrible vampire name. Blair. Welcome to Above the Title, the only podcast about spooky movie stars. Blair. I hate so you're saying Blair. This is a Blair movie. movie. Blair. This is a Blair movie. This was a bad idea, Connor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is a bad idea. We'll get it. We'll get into it even farther next week. I regret my life. I regret every choice I've ever made that brought me to this we're we are past it though right yes yeah because uh, i truly I think for the most part i truly think horrible bosses this movie and then i can't remember what he did next which is weird because we've already recorded that episode but whatever movie he does right after this which i is just blanking on what it is um those three are, I think, clearly the fucking bottom of the barrel for for our boy Colin, right? Like, I'm yeah. not saying everything past this point is going to be good, but this is the the absolute worst it's going to get as a concentrated block. Yeah, I think it's also it's just um, you know tying into kind of what led us to to do Colin Farrell's career as a podcast idea was like navigating this period of cinema that you and I both grew up during. And this, this yes. is like, this is the end of uh, human history at this moment in time <laughs> that we've, that we've reached. It feels like that to me when I look back at a lot of this stuff. Oh, oh, this is, is this the most 2011 movie ever made? Ooh, uh, what else came out in 2011? A bad year for movies. Most notably, the the one like undeniable, the two 2011 movies that I think everyone loves, one of which I don't like, but whatever, are Tree of Life and Margaret, which I think point- pointedly had both been shot several years before it. Right? Oh, yeah. Margaret was shot in like 2008 or 2007 or something. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Maybe into 2006. Absolutely. Tree of insane. Life is shot in like 2007, 2008, right? But those are the big two, even though yeah. one of those movies is Stinky Poo Poo. Um, 2011 beyond that. I can throw out a couple that may be more 2011 than this, than this movie is. Hit me. The the Green Hornet, Hornet remake. Cool. Is it possible that that's more 2011 than this one is? Have you seen the Green Hornet movie? 
Not not since it came out. Okay, but you've seen it. Yeah. And you're yeah. aware that it's like the worst movie ever made. It's almost as bad as, as today's movie. Yeah, that's why I'm saying it's like it's real <laughs> bad. A I movie we're gonna talk oh, about. Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch came out in 2011. Are you saluting Sucker Punch? I am saluting <laughs> the great the American film <laughs> that is Sucker Punch. Hold on. Hold on. Keep keep talking. All right, let right me back. check farther down this list. Um Your Highness, the David Gordon Green medieval comedy it came out in 2011 oh man this is like a, a horrible trip down memory lane um fast five came out in 2011 though so i actually don't know what to make of that i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing we'll, we'll i don't know if we'll ever get to the fast and furious series but we'll see when we make it there thor came out in 2011 we're never the doing time. the fast and furious there's Connor, are please, we please are we ever just... gonna do it Oh, you have a Sucker Punch t-shirt? I have a Sucker Punch t-shirt from early enough in the production (laughs) that Hudgens was going to play the lead role instead of the role she ended up playing. So you can see that's very clearly Vanessa Hudgens. It's like the first like piece, like mock-up of the logo. This is like, this is Comic-Con 2009, right? So the movie is like still a year away from shooting and like Snyder is doing fucking watchman press and like hyping everyone up for sucker punch yeah i have a sucker punch t-shirt transformers dark of the moon 2011 transformers dark of the moon bad teacher 2011 green lantern 2011 right it's a bad year for movies horrible bosses as we've talked about it's maybe the worst it's maybe the worst best picture lineup ever is my hot take Oh man! Now I'm Both? I'm a lot harder on a lot of those movies than some people are, but it's not a good lineup. I think both Friends with Benefits and No Strings yep. Attached yep. came out yep. in And one of those movies is good. One of those movies is real fucking good, and one of those movies is not. I don't know if I've seen both of them. I've seen both of them. Of is the Justin Timberlake the bad one? Yes. Okay, that's the one I've seen. Woody uh, Harrelson yeah, is his good. gay best yep. friend. Yep. 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 Weird, Weird movie. Uh, no strings attached, uh, which is Portman and Kutcher. Yeah. Um, really, really good. Uh, you know who did? You know who directed that? Did Jason Reitman direct? Ivan. Ivan Reitman directed. Ivan Reitman. Interesting. Um, uh, Ivan Reitman, who famously got good at making movies in the end of his career. Uh, <laughs> his two best movies are his last two movies: Sorry, Ghostbusters Heads. No strings attached and draft are the best to have in movies. Can I just tell you who's in No Strings Attached? Well, I know it's Portman and Kutch and Kutch, I but know I don't you know, know it's Portman. Ready I don't this? know anybody beyond that. I am not making up a single name that I'm going to read off. Okay, ready? All right. Kevin Klein. It... <laughs> Carrie Elwes. You threw me for a loop in the first two. <laughs> Greta Gerwig. Oh my lord. Lake is, she, Bell. is she supposed to be like Natalie Portman's friend or yes. something? Yes. Okay. Lake Bell. Lake Bell. Olivia Thirlby. <laughs> How have I not seen this movie? Ludicrous. Wait. <laughs> what is Ashton Kutcher's profession? Ludicrous. Ludicrous. Hold on. Jake Johnson. Okay. That, Mindy that's Kaling. Like... Mindy Kaling. Okay. That seems more Nassim normal. Nassim Okay. Abby Elliott. Sure. 
That's a cast. Why why is Ludacris in this movie? Is it a why cameo is... or is he actually in the movie? Well, he's not playing Ludacris. I know, I understand that. He's he's one of he's like Ashton Kutcher's friend. <laughs> what is Ashton Kutcher's uh um uh, career in this movie? He like works in TV. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because from what I understand, both of those scripts were essentially derivative of the same script that was written by the creator of New Girl. Interesting. I wonder if I have that story correctly, but this is what I've heard about so it. Is she's that... the credited writer on yeah. No Strings Attached. Uh, Elizabeth Merriweather, it's that script. The, the script you're thinking of is No Strings Attached. But Friends the original one was called Fuck Buddies. It was called Fuck Buddies. Yeah, they yeah. were never going to make it called Fuck Buddies. But that script is no strings attached. Friends with okay. Benefits, the Ashton Kutcher Mila Kunis one, is a like cheapo knockoff of this movie. That's what I've heard. Well, what I what I heard essentially was that the original script was more raunchy, or or however you yes. want to describe it. And I uh, I don't I can't remember which studios each film, but essentially. When the original Fuck Buddy script got neutered enough to be no strings attached, the other studio was like, we could take the raunchy elements out and then that, design our own story around it. But it's, That might happen. I, again, I have not seen either of these movies since they came out. Um, I just remember thinking that No Strings Attached was quite good. Um, and it, Kevin Klein's fucking insane in it. Um, yeah, I couldn't tell you. I think it's. I feel like it's raunchier than Friends with Benefits, a terrible movie that ends in a flash mob. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't even know if I've seen the full thing of that. I think I I turned it on once. Like there were a group of people in my apartment, my like an older apartment, and I turned it on because it was on Netflix. We made it maybe like forty five minutes in. I was like, I have to turn this off right now. Um. Anyway, Connor, do you know what the worst movie of twenty eleven is? I mean, there's a lot of bad movies. But do you know what the worst movie of twenty is? Jay Edgar bad? I I have no. Jay Edgar's actually okay. Okay, well, there's yeah. that. It's um, I know you hate The Descendants, so that's I probably... I don't like The Descendants. <laughs> Do you know what the worst movie of 2011 is? I really have no idea. Can you take a guess? Uh, Given what we're talking about today? Oh, oh, oh. Is it a movie that, that has uh, Anton Yelchin? And... No, it's actually Horrible Bosses. But do you know what the second okay. worst movie of 2011 is? <laughs> It's Fright Night, <laughs> truly. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll I'll put that out there right now. I disagree. I don't think it's the worst movie because if you look no, at the list, the there second. are some. It's the second. It's the second I don't. Worst. I don't even think. I think Horrible Bosses is better than some of these. No other um, movies on here. No. No. Anyway, welcome to Above the Title, the only podcast uh, dedicated to the career of Colin Farrell and the changing state of the 21st century movie star. That's right, Colin Farrell. He is in the two worst movies of 2011. <laughs> I mean, they're not good. I don't Critics like thought both this of these movies movie. were okay, though, which is strange. Insane. <laughs> Insane. Really boggles the mind, <laughs> the critical uh... reception that both of these films... I know. I mean, I like, I can't remember if I said it on the Horrible Bosses episode or if I said it on the episode from next week, but like the turn of the decade really is this like 
fucking death of cinema thing where like you almost do need Avengers to come swoop in and like change everything because of just how run down studio like mainstream studio filmmaking yeah. was. That I just mean, all it, these things are just turds, right? It all works. It all works in its secular, cyclical nature. Yes. And like people who talk a lot of shit about the superhero machine at this moment, the, the current present day moment in time with good reason, not, not for false pretense, but if you put yourself back to where we were <laughs> around 2010, 2011, 2009, uh, it does kind of feel like we did need something to come in and get people excited about going to the movies again. Yeah. A billion percent. Yeah. Um, Cause what's Hollywood giving you fright night? Well, I'm looking at this list and this is, you know, I was in high school at this point in time. I went to the theater every weekend. I believe, I think I went to the movie theater every single weekend out of the year. Um, and I, I can't remember being excited to see any of these movies. I remember just seeing them. Yeah, this is... You get what I mean? I, People I like have... us, we go to the theater out yes. of obligation. But we weren't like... It's not It's not the case where I bought my Oppenheimer tickets the second the Oppenheimer tickets went on sale. Yeah. This is a big summer for me. Um, and this movie definitely like crystallized some of that because of the fucking soundtrack to this movie. Because because <laughs> no, this is my summer after high school, right? Yeah, when this movie comes yeah. out, formative formative times, right? A lot yeah. of memories of the summer after high school. Almost none of them are about going to the movies, and that's my like general primary memories of any summer up until now, twelve years later, right? Um, and it's just because these things are just such fucking when the runaway hit of your summer is the help, you have a problem. It's just just dreadful. And like, I don't know, we, we're going to get into this more next week for some reason. Um, but like, you're just at this point where Hollywood is just like feeding you this like nostalgia slop. And I'm not saying they don't feed you nostalgia slop now. But it's a different beast of nostalgia slap, right? It's, it's, you know, to the best of my ability right now, without doing much research into it, uh, it does feel to me from the outset that this was a moment in time where because of the accessibility of digital effects and just like digital filmmaking really becoming prominent in a way that it was never conceivably able to become beforehand. It does feel like the studios kind of took a step back and said, Hey, all these movies we made in the eighties and seventies and sixties have really bad effects because it's all practical. And we could do a pretty quick patchwork job at remaking these films with effects that don't look like Jurassic park, but look close enough to, but look better than Scooby-Doo. Well, (laughs) And people will pay money to go like relive the nostalgia of what they remember laughing at and having a good time with decades before. So you, you, you say that, but I do think it is worth noting just to like orient where this movie is. This we're we're talking about the Craig Gillespie Fright Night remake, right? Yeah. That's the one we're talking about. Just, Just to clarify, this movie opens opposite uh, the Conan the Barbarian remake. 
Remember the Conan the Barbarian remake? I do remember it. Remember on next week's episode when I'm going to say <laughs> something about the Conan the Barbarian remake? I don't know why, the room? but I but I have a feeling that, that we're going to get in an argument over it. Yeah, uh, and I'm right. Um, it opens opposite the Conan the Barbarian remake, and it opens a week after Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And I do think all three of those movies are like of a piece. Oh, totally with each other. Yeah, right. And that, the like, movie that, that we may or may not talk about next week. What fucking was it? I, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I'm not that busy that I shouldn't be able to remember something I talked about ten days ago. Um, but it is exactly that thing you said of like, oh, we can update the effects of these these like nostalgia classics, right? Mm. And instead, you end up with three movies: uh, Fright Night. The Marcus Nispel Conan remake, which, to be clear, I like a lot. Um, the Marcus Nispel Conan remake and Rise of the Planet of the Apes, like three movies that just like pale in comparison to the movies they're remaking. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard not to say that the success, the runaway success of The Dark Knight does not play a factor into this. Yeah. Um, I think what The Dark Knight really crystallized, unfortunately, because there are so many positive tenants to that film existing. But what it really crystallized was we have the technology now to take these silly theater, theatrical ideas and make them not appear silly on screen. You know, yeah. we have the we have the the capabilities of costume design to make a, a Batman suit not look stupid. We have the capabilities of special effects to make it look like a city is being lit on fire. And before we're, I think kind of like the mat, you take the original Fright Night, which we're going to talk about probably at length (laughs) as we get into this, like part of the magic of the campiness, part of the reason you have such a good time when you're watching it is because every effect feels so tactile because it's Mm -hmm. practical Mm -hmm. and because it's practical and it feels tactile, you can like, you have a very primal response as the viewer to the craftsmanship that went into making that film. Like you can really feel every cut in that film that they had to like literally set up a different camera placing every single time they shot a new angle for, for any given scene. That's not even specific to that movie. That's every movie that ever existed up until the moment in time that we're talking about right now. And, (laughs) but part of the problem is that when you, take all that away and the theat- the the fun of the theatricality and the fun of the camp doesn't persist anymore because it is capable to make it like it is possible to make these things look real and feel real in a way they hadn't before and i know that there's ontological arguments that we don't need to get into about that specific subject as well it's it just it loses all the 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 life and personality that like the aesthetic form of the thing that you're watching had and that, yeah. that that's when I mean, like, when you look at this, when you look at this list of movies that came out this year and you're it, and not to say that good stuff didn't come out between 2008 and 2013. But w- when you're kind of looking at it as a whole, and you're looking at it, all of these big uh, temple blockbusters being of a piece with each other. It they just feel hollow in a way that big budget movie making never felt hollow beforehand. Yeah. Because you can watch big, you could watch movies that were blockbusters in the 80s 
that aren't particularly good, but part of the fact that it just took so much, it took so much effort to make them the way that they were gives them a, a, a type of watchability that these films yes. don't have. I, I do want to say though, let me just, let me just put all my fucking cards on the table here. The 1985 Tom Holland film Fright Night. There were plenty of movies where you watch like a movie from the 80s and the 90s and you're like, oh, this is junk. But there's like just a lot of like baseline craft that goes into it that doesn't happen now. Mm -hmm. The Tom Holland film Fright Night is a masterpiece. Yeah, no. (laughs) The the Tom Holland film Fright Night is not that, to be clear. That does not. Yeah, the Tom Holland 1985 film Fright Night does not fall into the camp of kind of like filler junk that was being just like thrown out on screens with big movie stars. Fright Night is a movie that is like demonstrably better than it needs to be. Right? Like it is. Yeah. In the same way that Child's Play, his follow-up is, those those two are like, they could have just been junky 80s studio horror movies, but they're really smart, incisive, like, human stories in bizarre circumstances. I don't think I... Let me start from the beginning. We had talked about, when we talked about this film coming up, you told me that... In 2011, the um, Craig Gillespie Fright Night was your least favorite film of the year, like on your list or yeah. whatever. You had you had specifically said this is my least favorite movie of the year, or this or is one the, of them, yeah, or, yeah, or this Something is in the like handful that. of the worst movies that I saw yeah. this year. And you said that you, because because I kind of questioned that. I said, oh, you know, I haven't seen the movie yet, and I didn't see it at the time. Which, to be honest. I'm not very sure how I didn't see the movie when it came out, because like I said, I was going to the theater like every weekend. So I, I, I need to take a look at what was out at the same well, this time. Well, this movie bombed. That it was. I can tell you that. Okay. That makes this more movie, sense. This movie was a flop. What what Do you have the box office list out in front of you? I do. So what it else opens was... At, it opens at number five. Behind Conan. Behind Conan at number four. The 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 biggest release of that week is Spy Kids Four, uh, <laughs> opening at number three, and then definitely didn't see that. Just the holdovers from the week before, Planet of the Apes and the Help, right? Those are the big I, August hits. I probably did not see Planet of the Apes the week it came out. I probably saw it this week. I definitely saw Planet of the Apes yeah. on DVD. That's the other thing. Like I look at like <laughs> all these movies from the summer. I saw this on dvd i saw planet of the apes on dvd i saw the help on dvd i saw the tree of life on dvd i saw horrible bosses on dvd i saw beginners on dvd i didn't see transformers 3 right uh you know what i did see in the theater is um kind of the barbarian but you you had we we could get into that again later but just to just get this over with you had said you had given this film for the purposes of this podcast up to you rewatching it, you were going to give it the benefit of the doubt to yes. say that you had, when you saw it originally in 2011, you had very recently beforehand watched the original 1985 so film. I, I also want to say, this is your moment to eat crow. I said, I love Fright Night. And you, Mr. Hess, definitely scoffed and were like, yeah, you watched that movie as a kid. 
Eat your, I don't eat know your if crow. I eat your crow. You Did scoffed. I? You were like, there's no way that movie's actually good. That's just a movie you liked as a kid. Well, I had never seen it before. And then I watched it this week and it blew my mind. I mean, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and then so, so what I'm trying to say is I feel like I had a very I had a very similar experience this yeah. week as you did in 2011 because so I, I watched the original Fright Night. It blew my mind. And then I watched this 2011 version and I was like, I hate this. This is a nightmare. Yeah. I don't want to see it again. Now, definitely, I will say this. My distaste for this movie when I saw it in 2011 was very strictly this movie is like a shitty remake of Fright Night. Yeah, a distant shell of Yeah, that like that like feels like it's pissing all over the original. Mm. Now, 12 years later, I like to think I am smarter and more refined, and I no longer care about the idea that a remake can like disrespect the original, right? Yeah. So now I just hate this movie because this movie's garbage. Like it's not (laughs) garbage because of any to what degree it is garbage vis-a-vis its relation to the original is its, like, rote reenactment of scenes from the original with no inspiration. Mm-hmm. But mostly it's just garbage because it's a dreadful vampire movie. Well, I think I think that the, the kind of argument of judging a remake against the original, I do think people take it too, too far, and we will talk about it more yeah. next week in terms of... People, especially at this moment of time and at the turn of the decade, obsessing over fidelity to the original or fidelity to yes. the original work of that adaptations are being measured against. Um, but I do think that there is some kind of if you're giving the film the same name and you're giving the film a similar poster design and you're kind of marketing the film in a similar manner to how the original exists, then then there is some kind of. Sure duty i guess on the remake to live up to and further explore the themes further explore that's a better way to put it um let me let me let me explain this recently a distinct memory i have in my brain is really turning on this movie the first time at about halfway through when jerry blows up their house right yeah now i i i i am fully aware in the benefit of hindsight that I hated that at the time because that like meant that the movie was going in like a louder and wackier direction and more action focused direction. It very blatantly, it very blatantly disrupts the kind of conceit of the original that. And yeah. Cause in the, the, the original is all about like, this is happening, but, but it's happening in such a manner that nobody will believe. Yes. Carly. Like, no matter whoever he reaches out to, nobody will believe him that yeah. this guy who just moved in next door is a vampire. And, and, I, and I, the remake, that scene where he blows up the house, makes it very blatant that people have to start joining in to the idea that this guy is yeah. indeed a vampire. When I watched it then, I was, like, mad at that scene because of its, like, indication that the movie was going to be like, this ain't your daddy's Fright Night, right? Yeah. When I watch it now, I'm mad at that scene because it looks like ass. <laughs> all the all the all the shifts it makes later into the story to make the story more action focused suck. And everything you say about like Jerry coming into the light as it were and like acting very brazenly in public has no bearing on anything else that happens, right? Like Yeah. 
I have a very similar like response to this movie, but for completely different reasons. Can I also tell you something else that it's a true story? You're you're gonna think I'm lying to you. Hey Connor, ask me who my favorite actor was in 2011. Who is your favorite actor in 2011? Chris Sarandon. I don't that that makes sense to me. Yeah, I was in, I was really Chris Sarandon filled back then. Well, you had seen Dog Day Afternoon, I'm yeah. guessing, by that point. Yep. And Princess what Bride. other what other like stuck it's, out to you at the time? It's as... it's the it's the it's the four. It's Fright Night, Dog Day, Princess Bride, Child's Play. Yeah. Which are like also like probably in my top ten of all time at that point in history. Just that's where I was as like a movie person when I was eighteen. I think you um, you stack him up against other male stars of the time period and he just has such a different feel about him oh yeah he he he, the fact that he never like popped the way i think he could have popped has always been like a quiet tragedy and also obviously he's had this you know really great later career a lot of really interesting stuff he's in fucking the nightmare before christmas you know yeah uh he's doing fine for himself um, he hasn't worked in a while, actually, looking at this. He played Dracula on a contemporary TMNT show. That's crazy. Oh, you know why he's not working? Because no. he voices Jack Skellington in all the Kingdom Hearts games. <laughs> so, oh, so he's, he's just, just fucking cashing he's just out. getting in those paychecks. coming. I in. feel like he gets a bad rap vis-a-vis the Jack Skellington stuff because there's all that I mean, drama around the casting of Jack Skellington. He's also um, 81 years old. Yeah. So, he, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he looks take, good. He could, he could, oh, sure. Take a step back. Um, <laughs> have you seen Child's Play? I have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not, in a, not in a long time, but I have seen it. You know, you know what I love about Child's Play? Just as like a fun trivia thing. What? Sarandon's the lead, right? Yeah. Brad Dourif obviously is Chucky. Those two guys both have one Oscar nomination and it's in the same category in the same year. Oh, really? Which I think is funny because because Dorif uh, Sarandon obviously mentioned it. Sarandon is nominated for Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. Dorif is nominated for Best Supporting Actor that same year for Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, oh, yeah. And wow. then, like, I, I always forget those movies came out in the same Yeah. And then I yeah. feel like for both those guys, there was the sense that, like, are these going to be, like, great, um, like, great, like, ultra leading men of, like, the early 80s? And then instead they like Eric Roberts. They're like, no, we're going to like do like weird genre stuff and like <laughs> pop up in the coolest things and be way better than anyone expects us to ever be in anything. Yeah. Brad Dourif, man, maybe my favorite actor. Well, there were, like, like, again, if you look at these films from the seventies and eighties that are genre films, yeah. but kind of live on in a way that we haven't been able to replicate in a sense. Yeah. It's because they're casting actors like this. Yes, that is the thing. Parts. You would never yeah. do that now. You you weirdly you aim too high in a movie today. I mean, I do think casting Colin Farrell is kind of indicative of yeah. that energy. You know, say what you will about The Exorcist Believer. Uh, a movie that sucks and is ass. I don't know if you had a chance to see it yet. I'm not going to see that. Um, I'm not going to go watch it. He is casting well for that, like that exact same thing that we're talking about. Visa, the Chris, the, um, the Chris Ren and Brad Dourif's of the world, right? Like he's yeah. casting like recognizable and talented, but not a list actors. Cause it's Leslie Odom Jr. And it's Ann Dowd, right? 
Yeah, like that's well, a I fun think about, pair. I think about like Dan Stevens in the in the guest or is it the mm-hmm. visitor, whatever the one guest. it is, and kind of how he wasn't a movie star, so yeah. he really like his exterior really like folds away into the film. He just becomes the character, and he's a good actor, so the film benefits from it. But if you have somebody that's so recognizable like this, like there there, there isn't there there. There's a case that could be made for, and and I'll say it right now, like I do think Colin is like fairly good. He does seem very bored in this movie. I I don't think I he's have bad. A take. Do you think he's really bad? I have a take. Do you think this is his like worst? I think this is his worst performance he's ever given. Well, and you know why? There's a movie you're not going to remember that I think he might be worse in. Which one? The one that you can't remember. <laughs> of oh, the, of the whole list. Oh, There's yeah, one I that you can, can, consistently I can't didn't remember. remember that movie. Yeah. No, here's when I've talked about the bad Colin Farrell performances before. Yeah. When I've talked about SWAT, when I've talked about American Outlaws, when I've talked about something else, I keep saying he's bored, right? I keep saying, like, you throw him into these leading man roles and he's like, doesn't have anything to give and he just like kind of sleepwalks his way through it it's very interesting yeah he's not bored in this one <laughs> i think he's bored when i watch him in this one he looks very i bored think to me. he's trying i just think he has no take and to me that's worse than a sleepwalking performance is taking a shot at something and just having nothing to give um it's terrible casting first of all it's I don't to... know. When I watched the original film, I got excited of the possibility of seeing him be put in a similar sure. context. Well, here's here's yeah. why it's bad casting. Listeners, if you haven't seen Fright Night, the Tom Holland Fright Night, you do got to understand that Chris Sarandon gives like the sexiest performance <laughs> truly ever given in a movie. Like that is a movie where like this dude like strolls through like the edge of a frame in a turtleneck and every other actor like snaps their neck double taking at him because he's so striking and you buy it. So like casting Colin as like the sexy vampire makes sense. It's bad casting because that's the only thought put into it. Yeah. And they don't actually make the character sexy at all. They just make him kind of look well, kind of like a hunk and kind of like Pattinson in Twilight, right? Well, they they make him... In, what confuses me the most about this 2011 remake in relation to the 1985 one is the thesis of this film that is essentially that vampires are just like the shark from Jaws, which... They just like devour and devour and devour and just keep moving and moving and eating and eating and eating until eventually they get killed off. Interesting idea. What I'm going to say is I actually don't think that idea is that interesting because if you look at like the entire basis of where kind of the Dracula-esque vampire myth has like infiltrated Western society to become like ubiquitous as it is today, it's like this like extreme paranoia of a very like sensual sexualized foreigner coming yes and distracting all the the women like <laughs> distracting all the available women before they have been married off is like the 
the overwhelming anxiety that that hangs yes. over all of these portrayals. Have you Panther. ever seen Guy Madden's uh, Dracula uh, pages from a Virgin's Diary? No, no. Um, really good. You can't fully credit Madden to this because it's an adaptation of a ballet. Okay. Um, but have you read the novel Dracula? I haven't part? read the novel. I've seen a You're lot of the familiar films. with the story. I've seen a lot so, of them. I've so seen Dr- the the Bela yeah. Lugosi one. I've seen the Christopher Lee one. I've seen probably like it. You know, it's funny that Colin worked with Christopher Lee and then ends up being in this. Yeah. Um. I there's an argument that can be made that the original Fright Night is in fact an adaptation of oh yeah Dracula we, we story. Can, yeah. We can think about that, but so. The thing that this ballet that Guy Madden adapted that does that is really interesting is is twofold. One is that it mostly focuses on like the seduction and even like romance and plays it like a romance between yeah. Dracula and Lucy, the the woman he turns kind of fairly early in the novel. Interesting. Um, yeah, you know who I'm talking about. And the other yeah. the other thing is that the 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 dancer the ballerina who plays Dracula is uh, Chinese. Um, So he scans visually as that kind of intrusive foreigner in a way that like feels contemporary, whereas the Eastern European aspects of the novel have been lost. So they are both like thrusting the xenophobia of the novel into your face and then kind of recapitulating it as like an interracial romance in a in a really captivating way. Uh, highly recommend the Guy Madden film Dracula look Pages into from it, Virgin's Diary. Recommend I mean, any Guy Madden film. Oh, Cole and I are recording this podcast in the first week of October. So, Spooky, scary. Yeah, I'm very much within my horror watching. I really only watch horror movies in October. I, I don't necessarily watch them at other points of the year. Um, I do both. I actually have to like stop watching horror movies in September. Um to save it watch, for October. Yeah, because I watch <laughs> horror movies so often in October that like I basically just don't watch horror movies in September and November. Yeah, I essentially um, just do not watch them from November through September and then try to only scary. watch horror movies in October. Um tell tell the people what Fright Night's about though, because we're getting into the the Dracula story. We're talking about Fright Night from 2011. It's directed by Craig Gillespie. It was written by uh, Marty Noxon, and it's starring Anton Yelchin as the lead Charlie Brewster, Colin Farrell as Jerry the Vampire, Christopher Mintz-Plass as Evil Ed, David Tennant as Peter Vincent, the vampire expert. I don't know what to classify. Question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) Imogen uh, Poots as Amy and uh, Tony Collette as... Charlie's mom and Dave Franco is in this. Anybody else in this? Lisa Loeb. Sure. Yeah. The 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 singer songwriter. Kind of in it. Yeah. She has a cameo. I think Sylvia Vergara's cousin is in it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Um. um Chris, Chris Randon Randon is is has, has a cameo. cameo yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a remake of the the film Fright Night from 1985, which was written and directed by Tom Holland. Um, that film not stars. that one yeah not <laughs> but also he probably not spider-man have... it's it's not quite as aggressive as there being like an actor named michael cimino but i do feel like he yeah. should have to be like tom w holland or something yeah it is it is very strange especially yeah. when you think about how uh uh michael keaton had to change his name like well that's because you can't like have that. two yeah. actors no like, i understand yeah 
I understand. I'm just saying since SAG already has that, yeah. they've already made actors change their name for that reason. It's yeah. funny that they didn't make him add an initial or whatever. Yeah. Just do something. Um, but yeah, to, uh, a, a different Tom Holland who who's directed a great film in 1985 starring Chris Sarandon as Jerry the Vampire. Which Colin Farrell plays in this film, and then so, directed a great film in 1988, also starring Chris Sarandon, <laughs> but as a yeah. cop, not a vampire. <laughs> um, so this film is about a teenager named Charlie Brewster. Uh, he has a girlfriend named Amy, and he lives in—I don't even know what you would call this thing. It's like a Levitt town that exists outside Las Vegas. Do these exist? Do you know? Yeah, these, these are real. I mean, it's a you. Spend enough time in the American West, Connor, Okay, uh, where there's a lot of empty space. You will see these like housing development, mo- like attempted suburbs get like thrown up in the middle of nowhere. Okay. So if you're not from an area like this, yeah. if you're from, say, <laughs> you're from the Northeast <laughs> like I am, and you've only spent your entire life in towns and cities that are like 300 years old and yeah. have no urban planning to them, imagine just like a square that's or a rectangle in the middle of the desert near Las Vegas that's just filled with houses and nothing else. Yeah. It's hard it's for me to understand. It's basically the 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 suburb in Don't Worry Darling. Yeah, but even in that suburb, like yeah. so what I can't understand is like where is the school in relation to them? Because they show them they Close show Charlie in and Amy Vegas proper. So they go to Las So like when yeah. they go to the grocery store, they go into Las yes. Vegas. Okay. Or like a town on the outskirts of Las Vegas, right? Like they're, I get, yeah, yeah. It's like they're some developer, which I believe is said to be uh, Tony Collette at one point. Some developer like is trying to get ahead of this place getting developed, right? Like I they think she's just a real estate agent, but I, I don't think, think she's, she's working for the developers, right? Yeah, like yeah. the idea is that like. You build these houses, you sell these houses, people move out there, eventually amenities and schools and everything oh, okay. will will ex- will extend out and it'll get like absorbed into the Las Vegas metro area. Like right? w- like the the idea of Western expansion, like yes. in the old west. Okay. I guess yes. I understand you're, what you're saying. Now. But but you but you do start out with these just like blocks of houses in the middle of nowhere. I cannot describe Cole like for someone like me know, who has never known I know. this. I, it doesn't look real. I, it's, I, <laughs> the opening shots of this film make me go, okay, so this is taking place in a dystopian future, and then it's like, I mean, no, this is taking place. It, it doesn't look real because it's yeah. a little too small, I think, and a little too far out. Like they don't nail the vibe, but like they. I, I, it looks like they are 30 miles away from the closest gas station. Yeah, that's the problem. But 30 yeah. miles away from Vegas? That's a little far, but Yeah, but you know what yeah. I mean? Like you would yeah. need to be closer yeah. Th- like that, if the, you had to run to go get the milk problem. for whatever reason. They're yeah. they're too far away from a highway is what it is. Like yeah. and that's just that's just Crinkle Gillespie being the worst director alive. <laughs> um just to be clear, I am from Colorado listeners like well, I do not see this and be like, this is the most insane thing in the world. I'm like, yeah, this is there's so much fucking empty space out here. Like, this is how housing developments go up. I grew up where Phil Leotardo got whacked in The Sopranos. So if you know where <laughs> Phil Leotardo got whacked in The Sopranos at that gas station, that's literally where I grew up. 
Um, but and yeah, my so, mother is a literal cowgirl. Um, <laughs> my mom is not. My, my mom's unless, not even unless from you Colorado. count groupies for Bon Jovi. My mom's from Pasadena, because... but she has been a cowgirl before. Because <laughs> for whatever reason, John Bon Jovi was like, "I'm a cowboy from New Jersey." I know. I yeah. know. He wrote the greatest song of all time. <laughs> Tom Cruise once sang it. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're gonna end up doing that movie at some point. I feel like it's gotta. I don't know, maybe not. Okay, moving on. Charlie Brewster, he lives in this weird fucking town in the middle of the desert outside Las Vegas with his mom. Um, he, he has a girlfriend named Amy and is revealed that he has a friend named Ed that he calls Evil Ed. Don't know why. I guess the kid is into weird shit or something. And he's been ignoring Evil Ed because as he's been dating Amy, going into senior year of high school, He's kind of elevated to a different social group with the popular kids in the high school while Ed is not a popular kid and they all bully him. A man named Jerry has moved in next door who they don't see during the day. (laughs) He has a dumpster in his front yard that he's just filling with dirt overnight and they don't know where the dirt is coming from because his backyard hasn't changed at all. And then they just forget about that. (laughs) Man, how does this movie progress? He and Amy are going to hook up, but he gets distracted because he sees Jerry doing weird shit. I might just be describing the 85. <laughs> You're movie. describing the 85. You've lost it. What happens in this? Oh, okay. Oh, no, 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 no. This is what happens. This is what happens in the, in this movie. The 2011 movie, this is what happens. <laughs> Charlie goes to school, and Ed tells him that one of their classmates, who Charlie also used to be friends with, has gone missing. And Ed thinks that there's a vampire in the town. And he thinks it's Jerry, the new neighbor who's moved in next door. Uh... He doesn't just think it. He like has he's, like he has all evidence. the evidence. Yeah, he out. has. Like, he's, but he he's doesn't settled. show the evidence to Charlie. Yeah. He just says, "Charlie, take my word for it." Yeah. Shenanigans happen. <laughs> Jerry gets Ed, so Ed's now missing as well. Charlie goes into Ed's bedroom and finds video of like a car driving, but nobody in the car, and like stuff moving outside Jerry's house, but there's nobody in camera because vampires can't be photographed. So now Charlie believes that Jerry is a vampire. How do we move forward from there? Charlie calls the police. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) This movie makes, this movie is like hard to remember, man. It's hard to remember. It's so hard to remember because because they live in Las Vegas. Because wants they live- to fill in the plot details of the original, yeah. which are good and interesting. <laughs> which makes sense, which progress yeah. from beat to beat. Okay, so across the street from Jerry and Charlie lives a stripper because they live outside Las Vegas. And Charlie watches the stripper get invited over to Jerry's house one night. Um, he hears the stripper scream. I think her name is Doris. And he breaks into Jerry's house to find all this medieval paraphernalia and kind of like a torture chamber uh, in the back of the house hidden in the in the house inside the torture chamber he finds doris but before he can free doris jerry comes in doesn't notice charlie and bites her and feeds off of her charlie eventually saves doris but by the time he brings her outside the sun is out and she has turned into a vampire and she like evaporates into to flame and smoke an incredible use of our time to then have the whole subplot about christopher mintz plus already having had collected all the evidence (laughs) right (laughs) like just just a great 
which you doesn't know, happen in the original movie tight as a drum yeah. screenplay <laughs> to spend the first 40 minutes on this and now Thank jerry you. knows that charlie knows that jerry is a vampire because jerry knows that charlie freed he he essentially lets him free doris i don't know why because <laughs> he knows it's gonna happen whatever so the next night uh Jerry tries to get into Charlie's house and he the mom won't let him in. So he blows the house up and then chases them down the street like a fucking maniac. And he kills Chris Sarandon in a car accident. And then <laughs> Tony Collette stabs him in the chest with um, a for sale real estate sign and then just passes out because she hit her head too hard or something during the car crash. So now Amy and Charlie are together in Las Vegas with no tony collette so they go to see peter vincent i'm trying man i'm trying who is? i should have prepped, prepped ahead of time who's <laughs> played by david tennant um who is like a chris angel type magician in las vegas he's has a he's residency obsessed in las vegas. with vampires he's obsessed with vampires while they're trying to get help from peter vincent then evil shows up in vampire form and attacks him they seem to like pretty easily kill evil but while this skirmish is happening Jerry abducts Amy and kind of like seduces her using vampire magic or whatever. Charlie and Peter team up to kill Jerry. They break into Jerry's house to find like half of the town been turned into vampires. They kill Jerry before daylight with like a magic spike. And then all the vampires revert back to human form. Is that it? Did I get it? Basically, That's basically I just what happens, was like, right? you forgot that David Tennant plays Chris Angel in this movie. Um, I didn't forget that. It's just like, <laughs> it doesn't come up. That's also a part of the frustrating thing about this movie is like, that's not important at all. At all. Yeah. No, it's just in there because you need the Peter Vincent. Yeah. It, 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 it's a vestigial plot of. It's a vestigial the, plot of original Dracula because Peter Vincent, Vincent is in the, the original Helsing. Fright Night is the updated kind of comedic turn on the Van Helsing's archetype from the original Dracula. Yeah, but it's also yeah. that like Peter Vincent in this one is a vampire obsessed stage magician. Who also knows reason. that vampires are real. Who also knows that vampires yeah. are real because Jerry killed his parents. And um, in the original Peter Vincent is... Is Peter Cushing. Yes, he's like a he's or like Vincent a, Price. He's really supposed to be Peter Cushing, I think, because I think the Vincent Dracula. comes from Vincent yeah. Price. Yeah. yeah, but he's a he's a hammer horror star who has fallen on hard times, and the reason that character exists in the original is because Tom Holland has this like true and abiding love of old vampire movies, and there's this idea that like. Well, the only, there's this like very earnest, I think, like someone called Neil Gaiman, uh, like belief in the original that like, yeah, you turn to myth, right? To, that, to, there's there's to this cure very, the, you, you turn to myth to cure the evils of the world. And for Tom Holland, what is myth? Who is the great warrior yeah. of myth? It's Peter Cushing. You can right? see the smile on my face because it's a very infectious sentiment that it's the original beautiful movie has. Idea. That's like. That's like, of course, these movies are silly as all hell. But like, when there's no when there's nowhere else to go, they are the ones that hold the truth that you need to refer to. Yes, it's forward. So, yeah. Again, when I say when I say Fright Night, 
the original is like a better movie than it needs to be. I'm really hitting it on three prongs. The first prong is that it's insanely sexy. The second prong is that I've always found it to be incredibly sad and to have this like understanding of what the weight of the violence would actually feel like that mm-hmm. most horror movies just kind of breeze past. I agree. And the third is that it's including this, weird, this one, this one is the this breeziest, yeah, the like breeziest when, ever, of when them When people all. die yeah. in the Tom Holland one, you're like, fuck. Like, how do you explain this to their parents? When Ed dies in the Tom Holland it's one, upsetting. it is like an upsetting 90 second sequence of yeah. his body falling apart, yeah. essentially. And all you have is Peter Vincent, like looking on in horror and Peter Vincent looking on in pity as well, because yeah. he's like, this is a child that's yeah. dying in front of me. Yeah. yeah. And then, but there's also this like deep, like religious undertone to the whole thing that is about having belief in something and the something the movie like fixates on is iconography and cinema in a way that's deeply, deeply earnest. Yeah. And this is a movie that doesn't believe in anything because it's directed <laughs> by the shittiest director in the fucking world. I hate him so much. I fucking hate Craig Gillespie. He sucks ass. He's not there. He tricked directors. me into thinking he was good because he made two like decent movies in a row. That's and I why he had saved himself. That's why he's not the shittiest because there are people like Len Weisman. Yeah. Did you see Dumb Money? I haven't seen it yet. So <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> shut your fucking mouth. I would think he's the worst ever if I saw Dumb Money. I would say this guy's the worst director yeah. ever in the yeah. world. Have you seen The Finest Hours? I have seen the finest hours. You you love the finest hours, right? That I don't, feels like a common no, classic. I, I I don't like it very much. Oh, I think I, rules. I <laughs> like Chris Pine in it a lot. Yeah. He's I great. like Rachel Brosnahan in it a lot. And that's kind of it. That's kind of where let me let me hit let me hit you with the arc of Craig Gillespie's career. Um, because I do think he is the most textbook journeyman director working in Hollywood today. His debut film is Mr. Woodcock, a movie that is most remembered for being lightly plagiarized by Paul Thomas Anderson. That Wait, is not a what? joke. For oh, just that Woodcock, that literally the name Woodcock oh, oh, oh. in oh. Phantom Thread is taken from okay. Mr. Woodcock. Lightly, lightly plagiarized. Yeah. yeah. See, you know Mr. Woodcock is a good movie because the joke is the title is Woodcock, Boner yeah. Boner. Never seen it. I've never um, seen it either. Like That's six... why I thought you were gonna. I thought you were about to tell me some crazy thing that it's essentially the same story as like the Phantom no. Thread or something or the Master. You're like it's it's essentially the Master before you made the message. No, I have no okay. idea what that movie's about. A month? Oh, it's about like I think it's like I know Billy Bob Thornton is in it, right? He's I Mr. think Wood it's Scott. like Sean William Scott is Susan Sarandon's daughter, and Susan Sarandon starts dating his like evil P teacher from high school, who's Billy Bob. Yeah. Okay. Here's the okay. But when, here's the Craig Gillespie thing. A month after Mr. Woodcock comes out, Craig Gillespie drops Lars and the Real Girl. A month I like that later, movie. I, like I that hate movie. that movie. I think the movie's terrible. Really? Yeah. But it gets an Oscar nomination, and people like you insist it's good, even though it's bad. I like it. Yeah, I would say it's good. I, I don't know. I, it's not a movie I think about <sighs> often. But uh, then he makes Fright Night. You know what? Wait, just just to hold on. Like there, 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 there is this like symptom of films that like you have a good time watching it while you're you have a good time experiencing it while you're watching it, and then 
you kind of have the suspicion that like if I was to think about this at any level of depth unnecessary to the experience of watching it, I would probably have like a a, a list, a running list of issues that I have with the film. Yeah. But I just have not. It, those sure. that's a film that I have not thought about to that to that depth. A, a, a deeply antisocial and evil movie. Um, then he makes Fright Night, which is awful. Um, then he makes Million Dollar Arm, which is definitely racist. But I've never I've seen it. Never seen that. Movie. But it's probably racist. Uh, well, it's about John Hamm going to India to find. Yeah, it just you're just yeah. like. Mm, mm, mm. Then he makes the finest hours, which is good. Then you really have to enshrine your like journeyman like pro status by then making a movie like I Tanya, yeah. uh, that like people love and wins Oscars and is huge. Then well, he makes the, the fucking deal. here's the deal about I Tanya Cole. Yeah, it's I good. don't know if you know this, but it's based on a thirty for thirty documentary. Yes, I do. That's better than I Tanya is. Of course so it is. So I've always had major problems with it based on that alone, where I was like, this isn't real directing because yeah. this movie already exists in better form than what we've got in the long run. I think the degree to which, look, I don't know Tanya Harding. I didn't watch that documentary. I'm going to keep my hands clean of like the, like, how does it, how true is it to history stuff? That's not what I'm talking about here. I think as a narrative, the degree to which that movie is like Tanya Harding's just a sweet, innocent baby who is just like pressured into doing bad things by the people in her life is boring and not interesting. And whenever that movie's about Sebastian Stan, that movie gets good because he's actually gets to be a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, have I also told you my my hot take about the Robbie performance? I feel like I've said it on this podcast before. About what performance? Margot Robbie. Oh, in I, Tanya. Yeah. Isn't your hot take that it's lame because she doesn't do the real... Yeah. yeah that you yeah. would just rather see an actual... Um, yes. Uh, She's... Margot Robbie... Figure skater. Is one of my favorite actresses. I do think that performance is not very good. And I do think that you probably could have gotten a better performance from a real figure skater. Um, and then you would get the benefit of having them do the actual skating themselves. You know the... Like... Just for me right now, I could give you an example of why I have never really felt like that film is good. It's his best it's okay. movie. It's I think his it's best okay. movie. I think The Finest Hours is better than I Tanya. I think I Tanya is slightly better. Than I the also Finest think Hours. that Lars and the Real Girl is better than I Tanya. Yeah, and well, I kind of luxuriate in the <laughs> in the like horrifying pessimism of Lars and the Real Girl. Um but moving Don't forward, for it. at the end of I, Tanya, spoiler alert, there's like a shot where she's putting her makeup on in the mirror. And that's like the big Oscar scene for yeah. Margot Robbie. I, I have I have absolutely no idea what you're supposed to feel during that scene. If you're supposed to feel anything whatsoever. I, I, I like the movie. That's a but, good example um, for me of why that movie doesn't work. I, I, Tanya, a movie I think is fine. Is, it should be called I, Jeff Galuli because yeah. it's a movie about Jeff Galuli yeah. more than it is it's, a movie about Tanya Harding. It's also Joker for horse girls. Like, <laughs> that, that's a, that's it's better than Joker. <laughs> um, it's also like, I've mentioned before on the show, I can't remember which context, um, that there are like, there are bad Oscar wins where I don't care, where I'm like happy that this person has an Oscar. 
right? Yeah. Like, because at the end of the day, it it never yeah. truly matters what the film yes, is like, that they're winning the Oscar for. I yeah. I don't do I particularly care for Laura Dern's performance in Marriage Story. No, but I'm happy that Laura Dern has an Oscar. And then there are performances where I'm like, you gave them the Oscar for this. I actually think that's more insulting than them not having an Oscar at all. And Allison Janney, one of my favorite actresses, having an Oscar for I, Tanya is offensive. Yeah. It's yeah. it's disrespectful to how good Allison Janney is in other movies. Um, well, it's anyway. like we were talking about somebody recently, maybe not super recently, but we talked about somebody on this podcast. I know. It's, and like, it's I like, I can't remember I, who it was. I can't remember who it is, but there there, there is this issue of like, for people for for younger generations who are like looking up these people and they're like what are their good performances that i should watch and then the 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 award win is tied it to was like plumber. a movie that's it was the... plumber wasn't it yes, plumber yes. yeah it was plumber it was yeah. us being like like okay, but i'm that's with plumber i'm like i don't yeah. really care about beginners but i'm happy christopher plumber has an Oscar. also kate blanchett yeah well yeah. that's one where i'm a little like mm. <laughs> It's because if, if if Tar didn't exist, I actually cared. Tar flipped it to Kate to the other category for me, where I was like, "Well, now I'm mad." Before that you were like, Oscar. "I'm happy Kate has an Academy two award. Oscars," and yeah, now I'm and, uh, like, "Why does Kate have yeah. two Oscars for the bad performances?" Um, also, to some extent, Jamie Fox. Yeah, but that's just such a fucking yeah. a special. It's a special case like that. That's so important to the narrative of his career yeah. um anyway then craig gillespie makes cruella which no one saw is not a movie that exists is somehow the most non-existent movie of covid did it come um, out during the pandemic late um like may 2021 so like theaters are starting to open back up see that um, movie is bad never saw it and then Very he made <laughs> dumb money a movie that is mostly barstool sports memes i was i'm not joking i so you know, I do my research for this podcast that you and I do. I, I was planning on going to see it. And when the push came to shove, I just went, I, I, you can't make me watch this movie. It's I just have absolutely no desire to see worse it. Worse than you think it is. That I just, I also have a business degree and I just don't like, I don't want to go that far. Yeah. Into, into um, watching this the worst thing about Dumb Money is it, like it has a good cast, right? Yeah. Um, Paul Dano. Seth no, Rogen, not talking about Sebastian Paul Dano. Stan. I'm not talking about Sebastian. Um, but like Sebastian. Is Stan, it like America Ferrera in it? America Ferrera. Yeah. Um, Talia Ryder, Mahala Harrod. Yeah. Um, Seth Rogen, Nick Offerman, Clancy Brown, Clancy Brown, is it? D'Onofrio, <laughs> like, um, Tony Ramos. Um, oh, good for him. Dane DeHaan. Still getting work. Dane DeHaan is in it. He's in it. Yeah. Who does he play in it? He plays Tony Ramos's weird boss. Oh. At at the GameStop. Um, like it's a it's a bunch of good people given nothing to do because this movie is mostly memes. Like he just keeps like cutting to memes that are real memes that he's like <laughs> copy pasted into his fucking <laughs> fucking final cut timeline. Okay. I don't want I can't I don't want to think about it. We gotta listeners, yeah. I do have one thing. It. I do have one thing you you should do, which is it's when you're listening to this, pause this episode after I finish saying this. Go look up what the guy Paul Dano plays in Dumb Money looks like. 
and go look up what the guy Sebastian Stan in Dumb Money looks like. Because they should have flipped those two. <laughs> the That's founder funny. of Robin Hood looks exactly like Paul Dano. <laughs> and the YouTuber Roaring Kitty looks exactly like Sebastian Stan. It's That's bizarre. very odd. It's bizarre. Um, anyway, Craig Gillespie sucks and this movie is awful. This movie's terribly directed. This movie looks like mud. What's going on here? Yeah, I don't. I, so it's something that you didn't say about the original when you were like, you have your three tenants for why you yes. love the original. The fourth is that it has so much fun with the actual craft of filmmaking. Oh, yes. Well, that that yeah. that went on set. That's yes, just like so, a given. Yeah. yeah. There's like in the original, there's like. And they don't. I guess what makes it so fun to watch from like a filmmaking perspective is that a lot of times when you're watching showy filmmaking, it comes across like in an audacious way that's very annoying. And it's like kind of like offensive to the senses in some in 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 different ways. Uh, there's a millions of examples. I, I don't really have one to pull from off the top of my head. But in the original Fright Night, it like you can tell how measured Tom Holland is in the tricks when he decides to use them. Yeah, because when he does use them, they're just like when when they do use them, it's like somebody's giving you a shot of dopamine. There's like a trombone shot when Charlie sees um jerry like through the mm -hmm. windows early on in the film when mm -hmm. that happens my jaw like dropped yeah. i was like i can't believe there's a trombone shot here there's like dolly work where jerry's uh like moving where sarandon's like moving across space but not yeah. almost in a sense like literally I, I say this i don't mean to be facetious in any way but like coppola is using a lot of tom holland's tricks in the coppola oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh I think undeniably, but there's something that's also very non-showy about the saying. Holland. It's that I like, find, yeah, he's so measured in how he, he's not drawing attention to the filmmaking itself. He doesn't want to get ahead of the story, yeah. right? Is the story interesting? You, which said, would almost never happen today. Never the, today. Contemporary filmmakers have to. They have. They always feel the need to like prove their own yeah. might as a filmmaker. So it would just. It would. It's not a thing that would happen today. Yeah. Um, you had said that you think Fright Night's kind of like an adaptation of the novel, and I kind of disagree just because I think what's interesting about the 1985 Fright Night is that it takes the xenophobia of the novel, right, which is so core to the novel Dracula, and it co it like banishes it right and instead it shifts it to this very ordinary suburban locale and get minds so much comedy and drama and like scares out of like what if the vampire was in fact very normal now i know there's this weird yeah. like gay thing to jerry that is a bit othering too but it's this like what what if he was just like a guy who was charming and lived in your like nice suburb and had like dinner parties right that like the movie mines so much out of that setting and i like to go back to this like track development of the remake right you get a lot of juice i think from the setting of the, the remake because you get you get two things right first you get the idea of a vampire operating in the middle of the desert yeah, which is an yeah. interesting idea. And second, you get this sense of like, you know, 
you kind of referred to this locale when you see it in this horrendous like opening uh, helicopter shot as yeah. being kind of dystopic but there is something dystopic about these sort of developments right there's this idea that like we're being herded into like pre-constructed you know living spaces it's because we can't actually me. be where we work right we're, we're 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 so alienated from the locations where we work that we're like forced out of urban centers into the banalness of suburbia you know the, the idea um... that that's a feeding ground for a vampire it's a great idea that gillespie does jack shit with you know the uh the carl urban dread movie they yes. live in these like mega cities yes. which are just like buildings yes. like that's what it feels like to yes me. this, that's this a, development it's yeah. a great place to locate a fright night remake because it you also get there's the a alienation lot of, of the suburbs there's yeah. a lot of practicality to it because it's like as they've as they say repeatedly throughout the remake it's like it's a community of transient people who only come for a few years at a time and then move on to somewhere else uh, a lot of them work the strip at night, so they have their windows blocked out and they sleep during the day. Like it, it lends a lot to stuff the vampire that could idea. Be explored yeah. in interesting Fright Night remake <laughs> that like gets to I think the sort of uncanny of the suburbs that Fright Night gets to, that Nightmare on Elm Street gets to, right? That like Halloween. a lot of these good '80s suburbs movies yeah. get to. The best Fright Night remake truly how like how suburban is where you grew up in new jersey it's okay so the the area of new jersey that i grew up in spent most of my years in from the outset it looks very suburban like yeah. there are farms the farms are mostly for people from new york city to come yeah. visit during the fall time to pick apples and and whatever there are developments they don't look like this in this film but there are housing developments yeah. but i think what people don't necessarily understand who come from parts out west probably where you're where you yeah. grew up and spent most of your years is that there's not there there's very little open expanse where i grew yes. up the towns yes. brush up right next yes. to so you just drive from one like pretty densely populated space to into another pretty densely populated space. And I grew up basically as far West as you can go before you hit, like you're getting yeah. truly out into farmland and people who are not connected to New York city, but the farther East you push from where I grew up, it just gets more dense and more dense and more dense until eventually you're in Jersey city and eventually in New York city. So I grew up in a very residentially zoned small city. Um, so not technically the suburbs, but a lot of similar, like, you know, developments and layouts yeah. to space like this. And then truly just everything south for 40 minutes until you hit Denver proper is just like strip malls and housing developments, strip malls and housing developments. There's no uninterrupted stretch of it. But the truest depiction, I think, of the suburbs I've ever seen in a horror movie is the it's not this isn't even really the suburbs but it's it gets to it it's the opening scene of get out yeah where lakeith lakeith is stranded in the suburbs and it's like it's scary because it's so quiet and so dark in a way that cities aren't right like that's very true i think to living in these sort of spaces and 
there is more of a things that go bump in the night for all the people like to be like, oh, cities are so scary, so violent, blah, 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 blah. No, they fucking aren't. Look at statistics one of these days, you jagoffs. Um, uh, the 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 emptiness of the suburbs is very unsettling. And this movie with its like complete planned community vapidity is leaving so much on the table by not kind of exploring that vapidity, right? Instead, it's, it's just exactly, a vapid movie. It's I, I haven't said it, but to me, maybe not the most scary because The Shining works in ways that like I'll never get over. And I saw that at a young enough age sure. where it's been truly traumatizing for me for the rest of my life. But probably Halloween is the scariest movie to me. And sure. it's literally just, spoiler alert, it's the scene at the end of the movie when Jamie Lee Curtis is running around banging on people's doors and yeah. they're just not coming to help. Yeah. Like that, that because of that, seen in the film it has always been like the scariest movie to me is like the fact that you can live in picturesque I- idyllic america and nobody will step in to help you because everybody's isolated into their yeah. own bubble within the thing which again this movie does nothing with this movie does not absolutely nothing so here's here's the other problem with this movie that i don't know if you have clocked that you haven't mentioned it tells me probably not. We've never talked about this, but what do you know about Marty Noxon, the screenwriter of this movie? Uh, honestly, don't look don't it up. Much. Okay, okay, so you don't. I'm not looking it up. Um, okay, I read an interview, and I believe he wrote for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Steve, to be clear. Oh, I believe uh, she Noxon. wrote for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's all. I know. Yes. So Marty Noxon, that that is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Marty Noxon did not just write for Buffy. Marty Noxon took over Buffy when Whedon left Buffy. Oh, wow. So she's like the showrunner of the back half of Buffy. Truly didn't know that. Marty Noxon gets a lot of shit that I think is really undeserved for her tenure over Buffy because people don't like the last two seasons of Buffy. Um, I think it's really the people don't like season six of Buffy. I've never watched Buffy. Well, okay. This is, this is what I was trying to get at. There already is a Fright Night remake and it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've never seen the movie, but the TV show really does feel like the logical pick up Fright Night and bring it to a new generation of like, combining like vampire shit with suburban teen drama right it feels so indebted to fright night in a way that i feel like is never really heralded uh because people have such a fucking stick up their ass about whedon um but so you're in this position with this remake where you mean that people would never say that whedon that it's not original like it doesn't yeah. originate sorry yeah people yeah. people fuck well now people are like Fuck Whedon. And so I know, no now one takes people Buffy seriously, but for a long time, people fucking filleted Whedon. Yours truly included. I'm not, I'm not blameless here. Um, but this remakes in like a bad position where like you do have the specter of Buffy, and unfortunately, they choose to lean into it rather than lean away to it. You just get Marnie Noxon to write your movie for you. And what that means is the movie then has nothing to offer because she has already mined Fright Night for all it's worth for her as a writer. And to be clear, Buffy, 
great show, does a lot of super interesting things. I don't need to see her do more vampire shit. She's done so much vampire shit. By the time she's running the show, the show's not even about vampires anymore because they've like mined all the vampire shit for all it's worth. Well, I mean, for seven seasons, you, 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 you're also getting into something else. That's like this movie one came out at like an insane time for yeah. vampire. Well, fiction. That's the other thing. Yeah. And it feels very, uh, it feels very like a, just an artificially sparked project in order to like get get more literally like suck more out of the vampire vein than as they can you know they're trying to bleed it dry the studios are at this moment in time keep keep it going keep it going give me another one give me another one (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i have another one (laughs) but uh uh twilight has has really like let the vampire i mean in conjunction with other properties one might say that twilight gave the vampire genre a transfusion (laughs) (laughs) it let it turn (laughs) um can i read to you like like how much is actually going on i just took down kind of like i made an abbreviated list of stuff just from 2007 through 2017. So oh, vampire, vampire stuff. Yeah. Five yeah, years hit after. Me. So like on TV, you have being human. You have a Dracula series on the BBC. You, you have did, didn't you? You have Shit. a from dusk till dawn series. Yep. Uh, Preacher, Supernatural, The Strain, the Guillermo del Toro FX mm-hmm. show, True Blood and the Vampire Diaries. Mm-hmm. Then <laughs> even stretching into animation you have the hotel transylvania mm-hmm. films are coming out during this time you have a dario argento dracula 3d film which people say is like his worst movie you have dracula untold um yep. the life the first of the dark universe uh, then you have i'll just name them off real quick 30 days of night let mm-hmm. the right one in and let me in. let me in all five twilights yep the countess of julie delpy film thirst by park chan wook daybreakers uh, Cirque du Freak, the vampire's assistant, priest, the Paul Bettany thing, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter, Byzantium, the Neil Jordan, Sir Ronan film that we've never <laughs> talked about, even though we probably should. Uh, only lovers talked about it. I keep saying it's great, and you're like, I've never seen it, and I'm like, I watched oh, it. it rules. I watched it last week. I feel like we haven't named it, but. You have Only Lovers Left Alive by Jim Jarmusch. You have What yep. We Do in the Shadows by yep. Taika Waititi. And Jemaine, uh, uh, what's his last name? Clement. Um, the Sweet Blood of Jesus by Spike Lee. The a Ganja movie I have seen. <laughs> and Mommy A Girl Malik's Walks Home Alone at Night, which, oh. which maybe doesn't count. Because oh. it's too good. But, um, what a good movie. That's just like the notable stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm just giving you the tip of the iceberg of the notable vampire stuff that's coming out at this moment in time. Do we want to do it right now? I think we could. Yeah, let's do it. We're, we're, we're bringing you listeners something we've never done before. I on think this it's show. specific enough of a genre. We've yeah, never covered this specific of a thing. I before. don't particularly want to do it for any of the actors in this movie. Um, <laughs> so I. We both had the same idea, which is good. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think we're going to give you our, our vampire movie about Rushmore. I don't know who goes first, though. You go first. I go Because I went first with Jamie Foxx. Okay. I think that 
I don't think this is going to come to a shock to you, yeah. but I think that as like a pure representation of vampire mythology, the original Fright Night is like the best I've seen. So I'm putting the original yeah. Fright Night on the list it, it, for it that would, reason. And that if reason I was going first, yeah. it's the one I would pick. I think it's the best one. Do you kind of agree with me? Like in yeah. terms of the mythology of what we understand culturally vampires to be, it probably does the best job. Of like well, because it's of so much of it is about it. like the mediation of vampire myths then being true, yeah. right? That they're like turning back to like you know embrace the the stories that have been told to combat this very modern creature. The the least interesting thing I think a vampire movie can do is the thing where it's like. Oh, you tried to do the running water thing. You tried to do the can't get invited yeah, thing. You tried yeah. to do the sunlight thing. And the vampire's like, oh, you think that's how it works? Sucks every time. Fright Night like sets itself up for that so many times. And the only thing it does is it does the my per- my favorite vampire thing of all time, which is when someone whips out the cross and the vampire's like, that only works if you believe. Yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah. but it all works. No, it's, it's great. All real. And I'm I am with you that like for me there are some things that I need from my vampire movie for me to be yeah. a fan of what it's doing for vampires in general. And that's not to say that I don't like the movies, but like I need them to not be able to go in sunlight. Yes. I need them to not like garlic. I need like there are yes. specific things. I don't really care about the getting invited into someone's home aspect like, that that's not as important so, to me. yeah there's so much you can do with it i mean i think i think you're in a grumpy mood because the gillespie fright night like hammers that home so much but then doesn't actually have any fun with it besides yeah maybe the house that is true maybe i'm just i'm just in a bad mood because of this specific one but but but, but, but think about how fucking good the scene in Fright Night is the Holland Fright Night where Sarandon basically like talks Billy's mom, Charlie's mom out of like neighborliness into yeah. giving him carte blanche to come into the house whenever and how that happens like 10 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I can't stress how good Sarandon is as Jerry Dandridge, right? Like, well, okay. Before, <laughs> before we get back to it, I'll just say right now, like that's the thing is that, Chris Sarandon's Jerry is good at being a vampire and Colin Farrell's Jerry is so bored that he's not even good at being a vampire. Cause he's like, I'm tired of having to finesse this. I know they're not going to get me newsflash. They do at the end of the movie, but he kind of has this arrogance about him of like, I've been doing this for 400 years. I'm just sick and tired of having to trick them into thinking I'm nice to invite me into their home. Like I'm just going to brute force everything I can. Yeah. That's not compelling. No. There's enough monster movies about monsters just brute forcing their way through everything. It's not really compelling when you have yeah. the vampire doing it. Um, another thing I love about the Tom Holland one is, um, you know, obviously there's this like lengthy, lengthy tradition of um, female bisexuality and vampire storytelling. It it actually predates Dracula the novel, yeah. Because uh, Camilla is is a few years older than Dracula. Um, the the subtextual like male bisexuality of um, Jerry, 
like not just that he's got this like weird relationship with his Renfeld equivalents that like people in the movie keep like side-eyeing these two men living together in a suburban house and they like will never acknowledge it but like the very first scene and this is why like i know some people have like looked at fright night and been like they 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 read it as a little homophobic because jerry is a little queer coded but for me like the first scene of fright night is charlie's girlfriend is trying to fuck him but he is now seen like a glimpse of jerry <laughs> Yeah. And he can't get hard for his girlfriend anymore. He needs to stare at this this other man. Um, that's the first scene of the movie, right? And that, like, the whole movie becomes this, like, seduction interplay between these two men, neither of whom are going to ever say that's what they're doing. Um, I think it's cool. And I like it a lot. All right. Yes, yeah, the right one. Well, now You're I have up. to think of a second. Yeah. Um, you have to think of two. Well, I had. Well, I, oh, I already had two. I had two in the holster. Um, okay, so you did just say that, like, you have a list of things you want out of a vampire movie. Uh, I think you're gonna pick the exact same one that I would have picked. I'm gonna pick a second. movie that does none of that shit. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I know where you're uh, you actually have already mentioned it. Um, but I think it's a movie that does none of the vampire stuff in a very interesting fashion because it then instead like spins off vampirism into this complete other weird mystery. And it's Park Chan-wook's thirst, right? Is that what you were going to think? Yeah. Um, Cause the thing in Park Chan-wook's thirst is it's, just, it's a weird medical thing that happens, right? There's no magic to it. It's almost like a superhero origin story in how it's presented. I'd say something wild. It's the better version of Morbius. It's like uh, she, well, I've never seen Morbius. The good but version yeah. of the Morbius story. But it's a good movie. If, Comparing it to Morbius makes it sound like a terrible yeah. movie. It's a good movie. There's just there's just something about stripping all the mysticism away from it and just keeping the baselines, which is like the super strength, the immortality the blood drinking and the sun sensitivity, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he, he basically got rid of anything but that, that like, I think allows him to hone in um, to this sense of like vampirism is something that like destroys your soul. Right. That like, just like yeah. baseline eradicates your humanity because so much of the movie is this like push pill temptation for Song Kang Ho uh, to try to feel like, how can he keep going? as a vampire and then the second Kim Okbin gets turned spoiler alert she's just a serial killer well the um that movie is about like song hang song king ho's character is a priest yes when the film begins yes I, I'll, I'll preface it with that when the film begins he is a priest yes he has this he has this aura about him that's like i utterly failed as a human and now as a vampire i have like an opportunity to to refashion myself into a being that persists because yeah he essentially was like attempting to end his own life in the beginning of the movie not to get into it it happens the beginning of the movie yeah. <laughs> but um Just yeah, he has, several times he has this air about, yeah but he has this air about him as like i failed as a as a human and now being a vampire gives me this opportunity to see if i can persist if i can exist within this world and uh 
that's that's Park Chan Wook, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my that's favorite it's Park Chan Wook film. Um, I find it so romantic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think everyone who got a little excited about uh, decision to leave, which was great, to be clear. Um, maybe decision to leave is a bit of like a retreat of of thirst. Yeah. I think. Um, and given I, given it was more difficult to see thirst when it came out. Yes, it's much easier to see yes. the decision to leave when it when it. Came uh, out. I love I love decision yeah. to leave. Um, no, I'm just saying like what I find interesting is for people who aren't really diehard cinephiles is there is a discovery of Park Chan Wook happening now. Because yes. of decision to leave, that was is kind of similar to like people who are too young to remember old boy being talked about on the internet and endlessly are now rediscovering old boy and then working their way back up to decision to leave from like that moment moving forward because decision to leave was so easy to get your hands on actually watch. It's a great film though. I don't think That's it's my favorite. The, I think my favorite it, of his is uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. But, um, oh, interesting. Yeah. But Not Lady? No, I yeah. think it's Mr. I don't I, I think... find Thirst to be so romantic and so funny and so kind of unsettling. Um it's it, I just think it's his best movie. And I love I love it so much. For all those reasons, yes, and it's it's kind of wild that well, I guess it's always like this. That I'm more on the pessimistic side than you are, but it's like something about the complete like self-annihilation that happens in in mr vengeance that i just can't i like i can't get away from um it's remarkable the way that film is constructed but yeah thirst thirst is also great um what's your pick for number three okay there's there's two temptations right mm. i've said this before i've said this again do you want the just the four best movies or do you want to somehow try to be a little more comprehensive if being comprehensive means that maybe lower quality movies end up on the list, right? I'll tell you right now, for me, my pick depends on your pick because I think I'm aiming for comprehensive at this moment. See, I feel like I have to aim for comprehensive. Yeah. Um, And also the- It's more fun. This conversation is more fun when it's a comprehensive I also know that there is a very big, obvious, famous, beloved, already mentioned on this podcast- Dracula movie that I could pick. But I do feel like I need to be comprehensive. I feel like here's where it is. And this is not to me say that like the movie I'm about to pick is not great because it is great. I just, there are technically better movies out there, but I want to be comprehensive. All of which is to say, I don't think you can do a vampire movie about Rushmore and not have Jean Rolla be represented. Mm-hmm. On the list. Connor, are you a genre law? Hey. I am. Yeah. 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 Was that also where you were going? <laughs> no, actually, okay. it wasn't where I was going. Um, but not a bad pick. So just for listeners who aren't down to clown, uh genre law is was a French filmmaker who primarily worked in the 1970s, often worked in like softcore and occasionally hardcore pornography adjacent mostly for financial reasons to as an excuse to make the movies he wanted to make which were like just endless series of vampire movies about 
women wandering through castles on the edge of a beach, right? Like this is a textbook, like guy who was interested in the same images and the same ideas, reiterating those images over and over again. I think the movie I'm going to go with is 1979's Fascination, which is maybe his best movie. I don't know if you've seen it, Connor. I haven't, but I'm very familiar with the career. (laughs) I, I, I also wanted to pick Fascination because Fascination is another, like, let's spread the types of vampire stuff. It is much more of like a Countess Bathory style vampire story. Okay. Where it is more about like sadistic humans, like drinking blood as opposed to like supernatural beasts, which a lot of other genre law films are about like more traditional vampires. But this movie is just like, it's 80 minutes long. It's about a couple people stuck in a mansion with some creepy, like, beautiful women who seduce them and then kill them and drink their blood. And it's just this unsettling dream logic energy to the whole thing that is, like, what you get when you go to Jean Rola is this, like, art horror that is, like, all art and no horror in a way, uh, where the exploitation elements become these, like, abstracted, like, images divorced from any sexual or or violent context and this like just erotic stew um he's the definitive vampire filmmaker truly he is and i'm sorry but if you don't think that that's you don't... that's essentially the reason why i'm familiar with it, yeah is like if you, if you don't oh, think that you don't know enough about vampire movies. that's part of, that's part of the fun thing with yeah with a European film is like, you could just have this guy that was obsessed with vampires and just like, I want to make series of vampire film. I mean, that really is what it is that he's just obsessed with the idea of vampirism. Um, And he just made movie after movie that is just about reiterating the same sort of dream logic, vampire seduction scenes over and over again. He made a couple movies that aren't about vampires. They're also very good. Like these movies rule. If you can like lock into this haze, of just drone in a way um yeah just a great great director and i love the film fascination um a great starting point i think too for for john rola but i'm putting him on the list i'm putting him on the list i will have to watch more of his stuff i don't know if i've seen a full thing all the way through i've seen like many segments Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i will have to do that research at some point. My the first one of his I ever saw as wild is the Iron Rose, which rules. But the Iron Rose is just about a woman getting lost in a cemetery and like wandering through fog for eighty minutes and like <laughs> thinking that something scary is about to happen, but nothing scary happens. It's so good. <laughs> That's okay. So leading into like this <laughs> comprehensive list that we're putting together, and that yeah. makes my job a little more difficult because I think if you think of Jerry from the original Fright Night as like the canonic the canonic portrayal of a vampire, what we understand a vampire to be. Yeah. And then you think of um, Song Kang-ho in, in Thirst as kind of, or Thirst itself as a film that's more interested in what does the physicality of being a vampire like do to a, to a person yeah. who's no longer a human, but once was. Which honestly, I, I do, like, there are a lot of films, I know, I know we finished talking about Thirst, but just to go back to it, there are a lot of films that I think are, they they present themselves as being interested in this idea of like what does it mean for a beast to be a beast when they 
once had been a human and then they never follow through to the fullest extent of like a transformation has actually taken place and Mm -hmm. by that i mean there are a lot of films where it is you had been human and now you are a monster and there is no tether between the two like there is no holdover from the human state into the monster state even though the memories may may still remain and i've never really i've never really felt compelled by that 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 portrayal that that depiction of what it would mean so for me i i would need to put one that's a more meditative film about kind of what it would actually mean to 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 just persist through time in the way that vampires do and while i'm very 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 tempted to put tony scott's the hunger on the list i do I think i didn't put the hunger on the list man i do think I would have to put Jarmusch's uh, only okay. runners left alive. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do think yeah. that's just the one that it's to me from the second I saw that movie, I was like, logically, I do believe this is what it would feel like to be a vampire, to live for this long, to still retain some aspect of consciousness, but also have to survive off of the, 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 the living fuel of human beings of your peers i think that i yeah. think jarmusch's film does it better than any others do but i mean the stylization and the hunger oh my god yeah the thing yeah. about Honorable the hunger mention. okay here's what i'm gonna say here's what i'm gonna say the hunger is a movie i love it is just a slightly more refined and commercialized genre on film right Yes, yeah. That's, that's the thing, is that, like, it's the second generation. It's the, like, repackaging for American audiences of, like, the pure shit. And I kind of would rather have the pure shit on here. Uh, I do love The Hunger so much. Neil um, Jordan does, has in both of his vampire films, mm-hmm. has attempted to do what Jarmusch does in yeah. Only Lovers Left Alive. I think um, I might like Byzantium more than Only Lovers Left Alive. You do? Maybe, maybe. We talked about Jordan. There are films of Neil Jordan that I adore that I think are incredible. Byzantium falls Byzantium falls into the regular thing where I'm like, I know, dude, that you just see the world is just a fairy tale to you. Mm-hmm. But this one, it, it buttons too tightly at the end for me. It's in a similar way that Andine does, honestly, dude, in a very similar way that Andine just buttons up. Byzantium does sure. the same thing. Byzantium has much higher production value. It does can i make a case for byzantium yeah though well do you like interview with a vampire i don't particularly care for interview with a vampire okay here's my case for byzantium check the chat is it just Gemma arterton (laughs) yeah i knew it yeah yeah yeah. okay why how did i know that's what you just sent me (laughs) i mean valid point oh my god i love i love have you i don't know if i've ever said this have you picked up yet connor in our like years of friendship that Gemma arditon is like my all-time number one crush uh yeah i've i've, <laughs> I've picked that up pretty i think <laughs> somehow gleaned that the me saying that um a quantum of solace is like a very mediocre movie and you're just immediate taking <laughs> offense to that was like oh wow this guy her name yeah. is strawberry fields <laughs> She says she's Agent Fields, but if you read the credits, her character is named Strawberry Fields. Yeah, but the thing is, you should dislike that movie because of what it does to Gemma Arterton. No, it's she's a Bond girl. It's fine. 
Okay. Uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, a movie I saw once. I can... Do you have a favorite vampire, not including Chris Randon? Gary <laughs> I mean, Oldman? Yeah. That one's pretty... Yeah, that one's pretty... Right? I, I can't I believe love... we left it off the list. But... Well, I love that the, the Coppola one to me is like just fever dream incarnate in a way that matches like the Murnau and even yeah. the um the dryer. We didn't put Nosferatu yeah. on this list. We didn't yeah. put Dryer's Vampire on this list. <laughs> we put Fright Night and only lovers left alive. Whatever, it's our list. Um, yeah, I, 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 I understand what you're saying, but only lovers left alive. I, my thing with Jarmish is that like, a lot of times I'll watch a Jarmish movie and I'll be like, sure, fine, and then I don't really think about it ever again. Um, to be honest, that's kind of me with only lovers left alive, but. I, guess, I understand it. Yeah, I, people I, are taken with it. I was very affected by yeah. it when I watched it. I, I have no objection, yeah. and I think, I mean, I think hipster vampire is a well-deserving slot to be on this list. And he's also, but he's he's if, self-aware of it. That's the well, thing. Just, like just, the no, film the, is self-aware of it because it's funny. It, it has a sense are, of humor. There have been so many movies that have like slotted a vampire into like an urban talky like indie film milieu right yeah that like i think one of those should maybe be on the list by default um and even if uh, only lovers would not be my one of those yeah i guess so I, I, it's cool it's got tilda swinton yeah. in it have you seen the abel ferrar one yeah it's, it's on criterion right now it's not very good i kind of agree with that yeah uh you know what i have seen is larry fessenden's habit which is great uh, never seen Nadja, the Michael Amareda one, but people really like that. I've never seen. Um, that I've never seen Martin, which is because Martin's kind of hard to see. I do really like the Transfiguration, which was like a bit of a Martin knockoff from a few years ago. Yeah, but that's our that's our vampire movie Mount Rushmore. I think that's a very us list, and I like it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think I would have it any other way. Um, yeah. looking back I'm on it right now, glad I'm glad it worked out yeah. that way. Uh, you know who's in Only Lovers Left Alive? Uh, Anton Yelchin. You know what else Anton Yelchin's in? R.I.P. Uh, yeah. He's Charlie Brewster. Yep. It's yeah. a little sad that he's not very good in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know what it is about. No about one's this. good in this. He's it's so funny in Only Lovers Left Alive. He's That's very funny in Only he's Lovers. He's so Alive. funny in that movie. The thing about this is, no one's good in this movie, and I just put it all on Craig Gillespie. Do right. you do you like? We'll just go through the list. Do you like Anton Yelchin in other films? Of course. Okay, but you don't like him in this movie. I agree. Uh, <laughs> do you know how much of a Charlie Bartlett kid I was in high school? I've actually never seen that. Oh, it's good. I kind of you know who's fucking you know who's fucking great in Charlie Bartlett is Robert Downey Jr. in that movie. He you know who's fucking great in it is, is it Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr.? What is Charlie that movie Bartlett. like? He like he's like a drug dealer. Yeah, that, that movie has yeah. definitely aged poorly. Like when that movie came out, I feel like that movie had already aged poorly. Uh, I mean, I do feel like if you want to do it, I do feel like we could do the Mount Rushmore for Yelchin. I don't. It's just a bit of a bummer. It is. That's the um, thing that sucks about it. Yeah. He had. He, he That's someone with more potential than with a great body of work. You know what I'm saying? Well, he he did like yeah no I I understand completely. He was a very gifted actor. It really fucking sucks what happened yeah. to him. 
Yeah, it was just like sad. a freak accident from what I understand. I mean, um, if you're going to watch For those of it, you who don't know, Anton Yelchin passed away in 2017? 2016. 2016 in a, a, a vehicular accident. A uh, deeply strange vehicular accident. Yeah. Like um, a really just like a so tragic and bizarre. Something that seemed like there was no single individual at fault. Just like a, no. a really freaky thing that happened. Yeah. Just a, um, just a total accident. But he um, did have like a little bit of a live wire career. Yeah. He was very gifted and he had a lot of potential ahead of him. He was yes. just getting out when he passed away. I think what's hardest for me looking at his career is he was just leaving behind the period where he was playing high schoolers and yes. like 22 year olds. And he was finally getting to play real adults in movies when it happened. The, or it seemed like he was going to finally get to play. Yeah. The thing about. Movies. Anton Yelchin is his unfortunately his filmography is like littered with movies like this and Odd Thomas and Burying the X which are just like Terminator Salvation shitty Z-list like horror movies that he had lines that he's like not giving a shit in but he plays Chekhov in the Star Trek movies he's great in those right he's Um, incredible in those again only lovers left alive he's amazing in I really like him in Thoroughbreds which was the possible he's really I don't really like Thoroughbreds that much but he's great in Thoroughbreds Uh, Green Room Green Room Green Room (laughs) that's the one Imogen Poots Green Room right isn't she in the she's the the female lead in that right yeah um have you seen yeah, the, Like Crazy? I think that's probably the one that got him. I have seen Like Crazy. And we don't need to continue this conversation. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. I don't like it very much. Um, and we've named this movie already. Oh, not on Mike, though. <laughs> we talked about this movie earlier, but not technically on Mike. He is the kid who gets kidnapped in Alpha Dog. Yes, he is, which I've <laughs> never seen Alpha Dog. It is. You would like it. You should watch probably it. Would. It's wild, dude. It's I wouldn't say particularly good, but it's got your boy Bruce in it. Mm. And it's got your boy JT in it. Mm. <laughs> it's mm. weird that those guys were in a movie together. Doesn't really make any sense in my head. Uh and uh there is I mean oddly you know the, enough. You know what the more interesting thing about uh it is is it's one of like a handful of movies sharon stone has done in the past 20 years can i tell you by far the weirdest thing in that movie sure so that movie is like a mtv realism if that's kind of how i'm going to define the aesthetic you know that period in the mid 2000s where it was kind of like we're telling real crime stories and it's going to look like the real world but it's heightened everything's like a music video rather than actual realism um, there is a scene in that movie where like Ben Foster knocks like eight guys out doing like Kung Fu kicks, like Kung Fu roundhouse kicks out of nowhere. Sure. Yeah. Oh, it happens of out days. of nowhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's Anton. Hard, hard, hard to yeah, talk about. Just a, just yeah. a bummer. Just a real tragedy. Um, Do you like Christopher Mintz-Platz in movies? That's my next question. Christopher Mintz-Plass is not in movies, so... Um, Are there any movies other than Superbad that you think of him in? Um, let's see here. Well, obviously, he's mostly a voice actor. Yeah. Um, he is, of course, in the greatest movie ever made. 
<laughs> Shut up. Um, he's also in its sequel, which is okay, but most importantly, he's in the greatest movie ever made. Um, do I like Christopher Mintz Plus in anything other than Neighbors? Well, my whole take on him <laughs> has been in Superbad and Role Models. I like him. Everything he's been in for his entire career since, I'm like I Neighbors. Just, I I nah. The greatest movie ever made. Um, you I'm weren't gonna, in a fraternity in college. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> that movie's really not as funny when you uh, when you were in a fraternity in college and you realize all the potential of what they could have done. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I'm sorry, Connor. You're too smart and worldly. To no, 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 no. It's not Rose even Rose Byrne giving the greatest performance in the history of the American studio oh, comedy. Oh my god. Um, I love neighbors. I'm actually saying the opposite. I'm saying fraternities are so stupid that if you were ever in one. You the the abundance of of things you could do in a comedy yeah. barely uh, barely cracks the surface. I'm gonna say a mince plus neutral. Okay. Yeah, he's bad in this. Um, the movie really doesn't know what to do with Evil Ed. Um, well, it makes Evil Ed an incel. I don't know if that yeah. was a term that was being used at this in 2011. Uh, but that's what they do with Evil Ed, and I find it very off putting. That that's the direction that they went in. Because um, as we said, the kind of the turn and downfall of Evil Ed in the original movie is one of the main factors that gives that original movie its like yes. awareness of what it's doing. Yes, but also that that And this kind is the of... exact opposite. It goes so far in the other direction that it saps the movie. Yeah, that archetype, the, the, the idea that there's a character like Evil Dead, who's this like Evil Ed, who's this like very like, loud and obnoxious and like kind of self-consciously weird friend like that feels like an archetype of 80s teen movies yeah that holland is playing with right whereas this movie doesn't that that kind of character isn't in teen movies of 10 years ago like teen movies of 10 years ago have like weird nerds in them instead. I think there's another direction that it could have gone in though, other than like the incel route of the yeah. kid who's like kind of angry that this guy that's he's not even friends with anymore has a girlfriend. Cause that's really what this boils down to. Like Ed in the 2011 movie is not necessarily so angry that Charlie isn't his best friend anymore as he is that Charlie has a girl, like a hot girlfriend. Yeah. And Which is uninteresting. No. Um, and a waste of Pootsie, by the way. I was going to put that out there. Uh, yeah. Imogen Poots, great actress, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what her middle name is? <laughs> I have no idea. Google, go, 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 go look it up. I'm not going to okay. say it, just go look it Imogen up. Imogen Poots. Uh, Imogen Gay Poots. <laughs> she, she, though, is someone who is clearly very gifted. See her in Wonderful any of the good films that she's been in, very gifted. I don't think has had the opportunity to to ever really like live up to what she's capable of. Uh, well, part of that is because her best performance is in a movie that was destroyed by the studio. Um, and part of that is because her best leading role is in a movie that was dumped by the studio. So she's she's been screwed over before. Mm-hmm. Um, her best performance is in Peter Bogdanovich's Squirrels to the Nuts. Uh, which gets fucking hacked to pieces and re and released as she's funny that way. Um, and she's the one who I think suffers the most weirdly from 
the re-edit uh, because the re-edit kind of tries to reorient her as the protagonist of the movie. Um, and that she is not giving a lead of a movie performance. She's giving a much more like weirder and broader performance and asking her to shoulder that movie, like makes the performance bad. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, yeah. you said you've seen the original cut. I have seen the original cut. The original cut's yeah. extraordinary. I've never, I've never and seen she's, the original cut of the film. It's not legally available. Yeah. That's um, what I figured. It just got like loose from like Bogdanovich's own like collection. Right. More complicated than that. Um, But there is a near finished version of it that is like occasionally playing like one off screenings, but no distributor is biting it. Um, And then did you ever see the Black Christmas remake that she did? No, I think that movie is terrific. Um, I think the movie is really good and really scary and really smart. And uh she's really really good as like the anchor of that <laughs> you know kind of blunt text um in a way she doesn't get credit for uh she is just a hot piece of ass in this movie i'm sorry to be crass but that's all that's all craig Gillespie's well, interested in that's essentially if the movie had a voice that's how it would describe her exactly yeah movie. like that's, i think that's literally how it does describe her i think that's how the 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 dave franco character describes yeah. it which is yeah. a shame because again the amy character in the original is such an interesting layered person yeah um and go and undergoes such a wild visual transformation in the original film that the amy in the remake does not is is like in. the active bearer of sexual desire in a way that like women in 80s movies aren't normally allowed to be yeah which is like more complicated the fact that like Lindsay Bierce is a lesbian, and I feel like Tom Holland definitely knew that, even though she wasn't out, because there's so much like lesbian subtext with that character as well. Um, that she's like trying to overcome it by trying to be aggressively sexual. Yeah, who else is in this movie? David Colette... Tennant. How do you feel about David Tennant? Oh my god, that's the worst performance in this movie. Um, what a what an off putting character. I mean, this movie killed David Tennant's film career, right? <laughs> You think so? This, you think it was this? Yeah, or... this was what was it? What was it, Connor? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I was gonna say I don't know if he necessarily would have had one ever. He coming into this movie, him being in this movie was a big deal. Off of Doctor because Who. Because he has just left Doctor Who. That is the timeline. He leaves Doctor Who and he does this. And this and he leaves Doctor Who fucking hot, right? Like he has revitalized yeah. that show. And 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 there's this like sense of like David Tennant's gonna be this like exciting actor in Hollywood, and he does this movie. Is he so? And now he's doing Doctor Who. I need again. to look at the list. He's post Christopher Eccleston, right? He's Doctor right Who. after Eccleston, but Eccleston was like dips early. He only he, he he's like in it and then he's out. Yeah. He does one season. So Tennant um, is essentially the like the big Doctor Who's a, a popular thing now before you yes, get Matt and, Smith. And and that that transition to Doctor Who being a popular thing now happens under Tennant. Like yeah, okay. more so than Eccleston, even if Eccleston is better in Doctor Who than Tennant does, and he is. Um Tennant's the guy who really like makes that show a notable, exciting deal. 
I believe um, Matt Smith and he's was the doctor when I first became like aware of what Doctor probably Who was. Yeah, probably Smith is right after. Um, but Tennant leaves in 2010, right? So he really does like sign on to do this thing right after he's he's left Doctor Who. And I, can you think of anything notable he's done since then? Jessica Jones for a season of that's what Jessica it is. Jones. He goes right back yeah. to being a TV actor, right? Well, like, that's why I was going to say, like, I don't know if he ever necessarily would have been a movie actor. I anyway. well, I, that's what I'm saying. Would he have? Yeah. No, he probably doesn't have the goods. But this movie's the test, right? Yeah, I guess so. this movie's the test. And and here I'll tell you what it is. What a shitty situation to be thrust. It's into. that he immediately goes and does Broadchurch right after this. Oh, you know, who? So, I, like, you know, who? you know what he's in? He's in like two scenes of uh, the Goblet of Fire. That's before Doctor Who. Uh, that's before he, he was on Doctor Who. He gets Doctor Who off that. Oh, yeah, and oh. he's really good in that. That's but even no. weirder. That's even like a weirder sentiment to me that that's what that's the thing that got him. So Doctor that Who. movie comes out in two thousand and five. The Christopher yeah. Eccleston season of Doctor Who is also two thousand five. Oh, okay. And he's really fucking good in Goblet of Fire. To be clear, yeah, I'm gonna Not be a honest. Movie like, I'm super into. I haven't seen him, and I don't watch a lot of British television. I've yeah. seen him in this. I've seen him in Jessica Jones, and I've seen him in episodes of doctor who every night so i I am just going to say as a person who saw this movie when it came out i do feel like david tennant's in the fright night remake was like as much of a selling point for this thing as colin farrell's in the fright night remake oh wow and i think that just has like i guess lasted to history i guess that makes sense to me because david tennant's on the up and up and colin farrell's seemingly on the rebound yeah all the all the reviews and interviews from when this movie is coming out despite the existence of in bruges and despite him being in other films and other even popular films something like horrible bosses yeah all of the interviews reviews media that that literature about him that was released in the the run-up to this film is about how he had to step away after miami vice and yes. this was his like comeback to to mainstream movie stardom yeah the the man has had a million comebacks we've talked about <laughs> it um i mean what it is is that this is where they're like selling you Colin the sex pot again yeah but just to just to go back to tenant real quick this is just the point i'm making is that it feels weird that I said that this was David Tennant's like big chance to be a movie star is, is part of it that just like he's in this movie and he's terrible in this movie and it's just done. Right. There's like, go back to British TV immediately. Yeah. And he's had a good run of it on British TV, but like he's doing Dr. Who again. That's not great. He's doing Dr. Who again now. Yeah. Right now. Oh, wait, right now. Yeah, he's Doctor Who again. I yeah. I literally this is I found this out today. Movie. I was like, because I was like, didn't he just read Doctor? So you know that the, the conceit. So like, there are, there are, if I go and watch like the most recent episode of Doctor Who, it's David Tennant. It's David it's Tennant. Doctor Who. Yeah, but it's like so so Doctor Who does frequently does like TV movies, right? They call them like specials. Yeah, um, I mean that's what yeah. the BBC tends to but do. In they general. do that frequently. Yeah. They tend to bring in big names. So like. You know the conceit of Doctor Who that they keep recasting the character. Yeah, he's like re or they the character of Doctor Who is like reborn every yes. however many seasons. Yeah. yeah. So 
the last doctor was Jodie Whittaker. Mm. Um, Which is a big deal because she was the first female. The first woman. And they had announced like a year ago that um, Nkuti Gatwa, who's on sex education um, and is in Barbie, is one of the Kens in Barbie, um, is going to take over the role of Doctor Who, that he was going to be the next one. But the twist, I guess, because like they're like taking like a semi lengthy break between seasons, the twist and, and just filling that gap in with like a bunch of specials. And I guess the twist was that when she reincarnated, even though they had already said it was in Kuti Gatwa, um, she reincarnated into David Tennant and he's going to be again and he's oh. going to be shouldering like the couple of specials and then when the show proper like serialized show comes back he's gonna die again and become in kutigatwa oh okay which is like so he's only in it for like like, a couple tv what we would consider to be like half a season of television yeah but really like a few tv movies functionally yeah but that that's basically like for the bbc it's like that's essentially like a half a season of television yes like that's what the sherlock theories was like it was yes. all like they are each each sherlock episode is essentially a film yeah you know so they're gonna be yeah they're gonna be three specials later this year that are david Tennant is as shot and will be anchoring huh. um but that's like i mean that is not a great indicator for the health of doctor who the tv show um but that's also like that's where david Tennant is right he he revitalized the show he should have gotten launched off to something bitter bigger and he didn't it's a terrible character to be clear. It's a, it's a, well, it's the, this is like the worst script ever. The script it's of so this bad. movie is so bad. It's so bad. Why is he a magician who loves magic? His version of Peter Vincent can't be the original portrayal of Peter Vincent, not only because this movie is a completely different monster than the original was, but because the, as you said, the original, he, he's supposed to be an actor that appeared in like the Hammer era Dracula films, aka yes. Peter Cushing. That would make him like 90 years old if he was in, if the David Ken, the David Tennant, Peter Vincent character was the same thing. That would make him like 90 years old now. And he couldn't be, there wasn't really like a proliferation of vampire hunter characters in the eighties that it could relate to. But more so like, like I said earlier, like that, that character is rooted in an earnest affection for horror movies that this movie just doesn't have. Can I rattle off? a list of movies and you tell me what they all have in common. Okay. Super bad. Milk. (laughs) Greenberg. Charlie St. Cloud. Fright Night. 21 Jump Street. I I know where you're going with the bodies. Greenberg. I feel like is not real. What do you mean? I think he's Greenberg. He isn't Greenberg. Is he really? Yes. He's he's in fact really good in Greenberg. I don't remember this at all. You were um, talking about the one and only Dave the, the, the point I am trying to make. Oh, and of course, Scrubs season, the last season of Scrubs. Um, the point I'm trying oh, to yes, make is that. Oh, yes, as the junior doctor, right? <laughs> yeah. Comes before, in as one of the junior before Now You See Me, the great American film Now You See Me, the great French film Now You See Me. Let's be real. <laughs> it's very French. Before Now You See Me, like kind of enshrines Dave Franco as this like. Hollywood maybe thinks he can be a leading man stuff. Um, I don't think Now You See Me does that. 
Oh, it that's, definitely that's what does. Now you see me is doing for Dave well, okay. Franco. Okay, that's think about the movies I just rattled off, right? Yeah. Then post post now you see me, Dave Franco does neighbors, the Lego movie, neighbors two, now you see me too, and nerve and the disaster artist. And uh, six underground, right? So, like, I, feel I like think there neighbors this... is the one that yeah, leads there... into him getting more screen time. Sure, but there is this there's this window where they're like trying to make Dave Franco a thing. But before yeah. they were trying to make Dave Franco a thing, I think because he didn't want to be like viewed in his brother's shadow, and so didn't want to do movies with his brother where he could have gotten bigger roles, Dave Franco would just pop up and shit. Is that's the point I was trying to make by rattling off that list of movies. Like, Dave Franco is just in movies that no one remembers him being in. I feel like he's still to this day. No, he's not. He kind barely of works anymore. He doesn't. Well, okay. Up until the, the beginning of the pandemic. Would he not still kind of just, like, pop up? Not really. I, I'm just thinking, I guess I'm just thinking of Beale Street, maybe. Yeah, Beale Street. But that's, yeah. like, a real performance, right? Like, that's... Yeah. But it's like, actually very distracting that he's, he's the actor so that fucking up. good in Beale Street, though. It is a little weird, but he's yeah. incredible. I love him in Beale Street. Well, he he mostly directs now. He had um, the, the the film with his wife that came out last year, which is this year. You mean? Sorry, that came out yeah, which a few is months ago. Terrible. Um, and then he made uh, the rental, which is like a bad Swanberg that. riff that Swanberg uh, is. That Swanberg wrote, um, weirdly enough. Uh, don't want to see that. that yeah, I mean, it's not bad, it's just mediocre. Can I tell you who's in this movie? In the rental, yeah. Is it about a video store? No, is it about an Airbnb? Yes, <laughs> when I say it's a like it's a weird Swanberg knockoff, I'm talking that. about like the brief pocket where Joe Swanberg was making horror movies, it feels a lot like those. Okay. Um, it's a horror movie. Ready for this cast, though? Yeah. Dan Stevens. I mean, that's good. Allison Brie. Yeah. Sheila Vand from Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Okay. Jeremy Allen White. Oh, God. So what's the issue here? It's and just not Toby like... Huss. I feel like Toby Huss is an all-time Connor character actor. That's it. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Wait. Okay. The issue is that the movie's just kind of whatever. It's just like whatever. And and that Dave Franco's not a very good uh, director. Uh, I mean, yeah. most of, I think most of these actors who are really just celebrities that yeah. get directing jobs based off of their celebrity, it turns out, it never really turns out being that good in the long run. Yeah. Somebody not that I used to know to is really so. bad. Um, he's going to be in the it, new Rose Glass movie. I did do movie. publicity on it. Oh. It's bad. Have you, have, Connor? Have you seen Young Adult? I have seen Young Adult. Have you ever wondered what Young Adult would be like if it sucked and was like <laughs> was like kind of sweet and inspiring and had all the and had like no like rough edges? Oh man, yeah. That's that's. <laughs> so you're taking all the best parts of the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> now he is, of course, in Day Shift, the movie that should be good, uh, and is famously not good, and he's pretty good in Day Shift. Um, he's is he a main character or does he just show up he's the sec he's the second lead oh okay uh is day I, shift a vampire movie it's a vampire movie 
second vampire movie. A lot of these people are in multiple vampire movies. Yeah. Yes, this is true. So the 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 gag of of day shift is that uh Jamie Foxx is like this rough and tumble vampire hunter who plays by his own rules and does like cowboy shit. And because of this, he's gotten in trouble with the vampire hunter union. So like Dave Franco's the like union pencil pusher that he has to like now accompany Jamie Foxx on vampire hunting missions to ensure that he's like not violating union rules. Well, it sounds like it should be really funny. Yeah, like 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 everything with day shift, you're like, this kind of just doesn't work. Is it a Netflix movie? Yeah, yeah, that's the other problem. None but of those a, turn out to be good. Well, the, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. But it's Netflix. I think just distributed it. It's an eighty-seven eleven movie, which are the John Wick guys. Yeah, um, and it's like directed by like an ex like stuntman, right? Like everything about this like should be good this guy did stunts for fucking the rundown fucking daredevil fucking planet of the apes daredevil like the colin farrell yeah yeah daredevil fucking did stunts for iron man do you think dave franco is a good actor i think dave franco is a very good actor uh this guy was the fight choreographer for warrior um i'm just gonna put that out there uh, he did stunts for Get the Gringo. He did stunts for Django Unchained. Uh, he was the stunt coordinator for Argo. He did the fight. He did the fights for the Old Boy remake. Like he's got a good fucking credit. He did the stu- He was the stunt coordinator for Spy. He worked on John Wick too. Like he did a lot of the contemporary fa- Fast and Furiouses. Uh, I'm just saying, like this guy's got like a good like stunt credits. All right. It is October, so I don't know. Maybe Ooh, I will watch. Good. Maybe I will watch Day Shift. Yeah, uh, do you think Dave Franco's a good actor? I think he can be used well. Wow, I don't know if he's a good actor. Wow, That's have you problem. considered that he's in the best movie ever made, which is Neighbors, and he's also <laughs> in the second best movie ever made, which is Nerve. He's really funny in Neighbors. He's so funny yeah. in Neighbors. Um. But he's bad in Twenty One Jump Street. Mm. I have to look at his filmography again. I, I think he's like okay in Twenty One Jump Street. I think he's bad in Twenty One Jump Street. I okay. think he's great in uh, Greenberg. Rewatch Greenberg, and you're gonna I be remember like, that he's in it. Fuck. Do you remember that Brie Larson is in Greenberg? No. <laughs> do you remember that Juno Temple's in Greenberg? Yes, I do. Remember okay, Juno they're all in the in same Greenberg. seat. Okay. There, there's okay. the scene at the end of Greenberg where like Greta Gerwig throws a party and like Ben Stiller talks to all her millennial friends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Franco's yeah. like the 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 main guy in that scene. I also think he's bad in Disaster Artist. I think he's actually really <laughs> terrific in the Disaster Artist. Sure. That movie's <laughs> just awful. I mean, that could also be that could also be. I mean, that's my take most of the time with Colin while we're watching yeah. these. He gives the yeah. second best performance in the Disaster Artist. But none of none the no performances are good in the Disaster Artist. One performance in the Disaster Artist is Oscar worthy. Is it Paul Shear getting really angry? No. At... Paul Shear sucks in the Disaster Artist. <laughs> Two, sorry, he, he gives the third best performance to the Disaster Artist. I just remembered Zach Efron in the Disaster Artist. Oh, yes. yes. Zach really Efron good. is actually good. Yeah. Uh, Ari Grainer is incredible in the Disaster Artist. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I love Ari Grainer. 
Yeah, I don't know. He, I just, I feel like he can be used well. Like I said, because he's been in so many kind of um, manicured comedies, which sure. is like his regular ground. It's distracting. Sure. It was very distracting to me when he showed up in Beale Street, even though he is good in Beale Street. Have um, you seen Six Balloons? I forgot about Six Balloons. I haven't seen Six Balloons. He's kind of extraordinary in Six Balloons. Okay. Which is a heroin addict drama. Um, where he like gets to give like a big like loud heroin addict performance, but he's like really really good at it. You're uh, you're new, you're Christopher Mintzplast neutral. Yes, I'm Christopher Mintzplast down. Yes. Uh, do we we both like him in Superbad though? Oh, yeah. of course. I was just making sure. I was just making sure we were on the same ground. Um, we're both Anton Yelchin up bad in this movie though. Yes. Um, I'm Anton Yelchin up, but. With the love, like asterisks that I think it could have been. I think the best stuff was ahead of him. We missed, which that. is part I, of why it's so sad. I also agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Um, I'm David Tennant down for the two things I've seen him in, which is this and Jessica Jones, because I have not watched. Sure. I'm Doctor David Tennant. <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. I'm Imogen Poots up. I hope you get cast in more things. I'm Imogen Poots up. I don't think you're good at picking roles, but you're a great actress. <laughs> well, it's like she shows up in The Father for like she's, she's just, so good in The Father. She's though. So good, oh my god! But she, she, you can tell that that you can tell that her acting ability was not the reason why she was cast in that. Oh part. yeah. Do you love The Father? Have we ever talked no, about? The I don't Father? like that movie. Oh, I fucking love that movie. I don't like that movie. That movie's incredible. Um, I'm Dave Franco neutral, and you're I'm- Dave Franco up. I'm Dave Franco up, but he, it was a rough time for Hollywood for when he was big. Let me say that. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Tony Collette. When's she bad? Yeah. I was, that's what I was and I'm big. I will just I'm big time. <laughs> yeah. The real, I'm giving you a really hot take here that you'll never hear from anybody else. Tony Collette, a good actress. Very good, good actress. actress. Tony Collette should have won the Oscar she was nominated for. Is that the sixth sense? That is the sixth sense. I think that's probably she's pretty unbelievable she's in that film and kind of incredible in that movie. And, and what a double, what a triple whammy, honestly, that movie you get with Bruce Willis giving like one of his best performances yes. ever, her giving one of the best performances ever, and one of the best child actor performance. I mean, probably the best child actor performance that's been given on screen. You know what? I said Tony Collette when she bad, but um, she's not good at Nightmare Alley, but that's not her fault. That's not her fault. That's not maybe fault. my least favorite Del Toro film. Um, yes, yes, and I don't like Del Toro. I adore Del Toro, but I actually am pretty cold on like a lot of his filmography. He's a very he's he's he is a contradiction within my head. Um, um, Tony Collette, I'm going to say this undeniably and without question the best performance in Fright Night. Yeah, it's it's like without a doubt. <laughs> it's the lowest the bar's on the floor and she clears it. I, yeah. Do you want to do I think I could do a Rushmore for her. A quick one. Um, I'm going to end up picking a movie that you hate though. So maybe uh, you I don't want to do it. I wish you. I, I I wish I had remembered she was in it because there's two movies of hers that I've never seen that I want to see, and I feel like I would be not 
right in doing a Rushmore for her without. And by that seen... you mean Shaft two thousand. No, and I've never seen Muriel's Wedding. Okay, and yeah, I've never seen uh, In Her Shoes. Okay, yeah, the Curtin, Curtis Hansen movie. Well, those make sense. That I feel like those are the two that people always say. So I'm gonna veto the the Tony Collette uh, known for, but Shaft we'll 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 figure out a way and... to loop back. Mafia Mama. <laughs> we'll figure out a way to loop back. Um, yeah, she's she's she gives the good performance in Friday Night. Yeah, at the very least, like everyone and their mother is in fucking Nightmare Alley, so we might just like bump up against Tony again in the future. Is this her first um, suburban mom? No, Go at the six cents. Suburban mom. She's not really necessarily a suburban mom. Okay. Six cents. Yeah. About a boy. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, I'm an idiot. There's a boy. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. The hours. The definitive suburban mom film, The Hours. <laughs> that's Little a, that's Miss Sunshine. Okay, yeah, I'm an, idiot. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Mom? <laughs> I'm an idiot. I just think take. of like, I think of like, this is basically the hereditary character. Oh, yeah, on. of course. Yeah. Hereditary. That's a movie. Um, it is a movie. Yeah. I had a dream last night we were recording a podcast about Hereditary, which is weird because I forgot Tony Collette was in Fright Night and I watched Fright Night this morning. Um, well, she's not really in Fright Night. Sure, either. but I yeah. don't understand why I was like dreaming about recording a Hereditary podcast. All right. Uh, we kind of already hit on it, but Colin Farrell very bored in this film. I don't um, think he's bored. I think he's directionless. I, th- I, So I have a theory. I have a theory. Hit, hit me. Based on the interviews I read of him and the interviews that I read preceding next week's film, uh, which again made such a big deal about him going to rehab after filming Miami Vice, I think he was most likely counseled to not take big movie roles for a, a long period of time. And I think both of these movies, interesting, both of these movies, he begins the interviews essentially saying, like, Someone told me they were remaking the original film. And I said, why the fuck would they do that? And I think he was essentially probably told by his agent, like, you just have to take these parts because it'll get you back into the big movie machine. Yes. I mean, I think that's more true of this other movie whose name I can't remember. But uh, this is a great bit we're doing, right? It's definitely not incredibly annoying. But I think I I don't think he had his heart in them in any way whatsoever. I, it doesn't sound like he felt like they were important movies that need to be made. It sounded like he was essentially doing what was good for his mental health for a number of years and then decided to do, OK, I'll do what's good for my career now to try to get things back on track. You know, we, we, we we've talked about this, that like. I'm not necessarily seeing all these movies in this post in Bruges. Um, run, but this is only three years after in Bruges. I also remember like when this movie coming out, having the two thoughts of like oh, Colin Farrell doing Jerry Dandridge. That that could be that could be interesting, right? Like that that was like a, a fun choice. And also thinking like, doesn't Colin Farrell have more to do than be in Horrible Bosses and Fright Night? Well, like, I hadn't seen the original, and I remember the trailers for this coming out in 2011 being everywhere. Because I didn't know what the original was about. I remember thinking, okay, so it's a hot vampire that the mom is supposed to be into. That was what uh, my guess was. 
was that it was like the kid was like oh no my mom is getting my mom is being seduced by a vampire and i remember thinking like oh that that's good casting colin farrell as the sexy vampire that's going to seduce this kid's single mom um if i saw this movie at the time i probably would have been very (laughs) disappointed guessing that that was what the plot of it was going to be when i saw the trailer and then i remember seeing the trailer for total recall and being like this is absolute bizarre messy casting um as we talk about next week's episode that like you can't disassociate that specific ip away from the actor who is in the original film but it's a very weird period where i feel like i see colin farrell in trailers i know he's very famous i can't necessarily pinpoint why he's so famous yeah yeah because because when we were kids and i'm younger than you i i didn't go through the path that we've been going on on this podcast like yeah i had seen some of those movies but colin farrell never stuck out to me in the tabloid way that we had talked about in the way where he's like a a, a celebrity of of hyper attention because of who he's dating and what he's saying on press runs and because of the high profile projects that he's in at the time yeah. um so i guess it was a shock to me that he was as young as he was because everybody who was that famous in 2004, 2005, 2006, by that point in time, I was like, they're the older actors who are still trying to like keep the flame alive, but now they're in their 40s. It's like, no, Colin Farrell's like in his mid 30s still, or early 30s, you know? Yeah, he's it's weird, what? Um, it's a weird time. 76. He's like 35 yeah. when this movie comes out. So 34 when he shoots it, probably. In my um, head, based on like how famous I yeah. had known him to be, he's like 46. He's the well, age that he is now at that moment. In time. We we talked about yeah. it so much in the early days of this podcast that like yeah. he starts so young. that. But like, I'm thinking of him as like, this is a contemporary of Hugh Jackman. Yes, who's exactly. Who's that age at that moment in time, like actors within that camp. Yeah, I just don't think he's very good in this. And I think, you know, I said it, I think it's boring casting then because they're just like casting yeah. it to be hot. And I then also he's just like, think the take on Jerry is really boring. Not hot. The take the on Jerry script. is wrong. Yeah. It drives me crazy that the movie keeps making jokes about the fact that the vampire's named Jerry. As if that isn't like one of the more interesting things about yeah. him, that he's ordinary. And Colin can play ordinary, but they clearly don't want him to be ordinary. They want him to be this like weird chiseled god. Uh, well, they, I do. I do kind of feel like he. He. I do kind of feel like somebody went up to him. Somebody who is probably pretty smart and was like, you know, in the first Twilight movie, Pattinson's actually doing like something interesting with the vampire. Yeah. And Colin watched it and was basically like, okay, I'll just do that. Except he's evil and not a yeah. guy. Like yeah. he's just constantly looking at everybody like they're slabs in a in a butcher yeah like show window, um, which fits what Pattinson's trying to do in Twilight, but doesn't work considering this character and considering this narrative framework that Fright Night is based upon. It's not interesting. Yeah, it also yeah. just makes you feel like what is his what is his end goal because. I think one of the scarier things about the mythology of the vampire is that this is somebody who goes hidden for centuries, just picking off victim by victim, but not making big noise. That's how they become mythology because it's a rumor. It's like nothing that's proven. It's nothing that's founded. 
So what is this guy's end game? He's going to kill every single person in that weird suburban community. Yeah. Like get the military to come, like the national guard to come after him. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. That's probably the biggest offense to me. If you're going to go that big, make it a movie about like vampires coming, <laughs> like a waging war against humans. Yeah. There's no, also there's no like weight to the, like the violence of it. Like, yeah. you know, obviously this, this does this similar thing to thirst where it is, it is kind of like concerned to some degree with the idea that, oh, the the vampire is incredibly strong, yeah. right? Um, but it's just so digital and empty that like thirst has so much care into like how effortlessly Song Kang Ho is like throwing people around rooms, where in this one it's just like it doesn't. Th- there's no weight to the weightlessness of anyone in this, if that makes sense. And it isn't helped by the fact that like all the blood is this just, just digital goop that just like sprays everywhere in this movie. Yeah. It looks so fake, um, which is a real like sign of the times, I think, in horror movies. Uh, I remember at that age, all of the kind of negative takes against CGI that were coming out. And I felt firmly against those takes being like, no, these special effects are a good thing. They're going to allow movies nope. to say something about nope. reality that they didn't have the opportunity nope. to say beforehand. I was completely wrong. I was just utterly and completely wrong. <laughs> I've never been more wrong about anything else my entire life than I was in 2011 being like CGI is a good thing. And it's going to make everything better. Nope. Yeah. So like we said, this movie did kind of bomb. Um, it cost 30 million and made 40 uh open at number five kind of a flop really a forgotten movie uh they did make a sequel but the sequel is direct to video i believe yes and well direct to video doesn't really mean anything are in it. come 2013 none of the original actors yeah, it does are in it, it still means something uh, in 2013 evil ed is somehow alive <laughs> again uh it's about in them the, going in the sequel evil yeah. ed is alive yeah uh, they they go on a class trip to Romania, and that that to me tells you exactly what kind of movie this is that it's shot in Romania. Um, yeah. Oh God. Do you have anything else to say about uh about a little movie called Fright Night? I'm just happy that it seems like we've hit. It seems like after next week we will have hit the end of talking about movies that i don't want to talk we about. already talked about next week's movie i just can't remember what it's called yeah. um we haven't talked about this movie in the context of being a high school horror film which is another genre okay that's important okay. that this movie does nothing with yeah that the original movie like it does, does. Do something with not yeah. not to the extent that some other ones do but you know it it, it has some thoughts about that well i think like one of the biggest issues is how much i don't even think the original movie is a metaphor but the original movie just has thematic weight concerning like that charlie and amy are dating and they're getting older so sex is becoming an option but they don't know how to navigate that negotiation between the two of them of like we charlie's really horny but amy's scared to do it and i do think like the original movie is interesting in the sense that like Amy, when she goes through the, the, 
the vampire transformation be, she becomes like a sexualized woman uh and that's due because of jerry's like the elongated sequence of jerry's seduction of her within the nightclub and great, to me it's like scene man in my head i'm like that's the juice right there like that's the fright night juice that's what the movie's fucking about and yeah. then this one neglects all of that <laughs> Yeah, it's when they're in the nightclub, you, they're there. They're it's it's almost like the movie feels burdened to be there because of the original movie. Like the movie does not want to do yes. that whatsoever. Which that is like the best scene in the yeah. original, too. Right? Is is this silent seduction scene that like feels lifted out of a De Palma movie, and is just so passionate and exciting. Yeah. And then you watch this one, and you're like. <clears throat> That's my take it's, on feels like dirty dancing. And yeah, yeah, the original one is great, but I guess it's this like, does this have something to say about teenagers relationship to sex and how no. it changed from 1985 to twenty? Because there's way more sex in this movie yeah. than in the original, but the original is just so much sexier. The original is concerned with sex. This one depicts sex. This one, it just feels like they would have had sex already had this yeah. vampire thing not gotten yes. in the way. Yeah. Yes. I got a game for you. Is it is it a box office one? It's a box office. You haven't one. done this in a while. I haven't done this in a while, but I think okay. this is a fun one. Uh as we said, for reasons that make all the sense in the world. Uh the Peter Vincent character has been recapitulated as being a Chris Angel-esque magician who has a vampires-themed Vegas show. Connor, off the domestic box office. Can I just ask you, Chris Angel's show had nothing to do with vampires, right? No. Like, it makes sense in the original one because Peter Cushing plays an actor that killed vampires in the movies. It doesn't make any sense to be like, imagine Chris Angel, but yes. actually his show is just a depiction of him slaying a vampire. He's not even doing magic. It's just him slaying a vampire. Yes. It's the show. Can you tell me the top five highest grossing movies, U.S. box office, that are about stage magicians? Oh, God. Uh, the Prestige. The Prestige is number five. The Illusionist. The Illusionist is number six. Isn't there one with like Steve Carell? There is. Burt Wonderstone. You really think that, that movie outgrossed the prestige? I have, no idea. Me. I have no the idea. The incredible Burt Wonderstone did not outgross the prestige. Is what did I'll the prestige you. make a lot of money? Prestige made 60, uh, 53 domestic. Did okay. okay. 100, 100 worldwide did okay. Um, Isn't that expensive? Stage magicians, stage magicians, stage magicians. Not a lot is coming to mind. Are these movies, Are is it like the main character in the movie, the stage magician? Three of them, yes. One of them, no. <laughs> um, Two of them are pointedly about magic. One of them's about a magician who gets up into some shit. And one of them has like a key supporting character who's a magician. Like okay. a real historical magician. Oh, is it like a Harry so, Houdini? No. No. But you're thinking right. So two of these are movies we've talked about on this episode. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they're not vampire movies. Are they vampire they're, movies? They're not vampire movies. Oh, uh, Now You See Me. Uh, yeah. And Now You See Me too. Those are number two and number four. <laughs> okay. So I have three left. 
two left? Yeah. So number three is a children's movie. A key supporting character is a real life historical magician, but he's remembered for something enough like a career pivot, but he was a magician before he like became very successful in another field because he saw another field as being like a way he could be a better Hugo. It's Hugo. Okay. Because George Melies is, of course, a magician. Yeah. Cinema was magic. Number one. It's a movie that definitely exists. A bunch of people we've talked about this episode are in this movie. A Um, bunch of people we've talked about. It's a reboot. It's a flop. But it's it made two hundred forty million dollars, and it's in the United States. It's and a two hundred forty million dollar flop. Yeah, five hundred worldwide in a flop because it was so expensive. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a prequel to a very famous movie, and like like a post post Avengers when they're like what IPs can be like franchised. This is like one of the first big ones. And but okay, but. And the main character is a stage magician? Yeah. He doesn't, like, do much magic in the movie. He's just a stage magician. Who gets caught up in, like, a wacky adventure. A stage magician. And his name's and in the title. Oh, man. Um, it's directed by a so big director post, who's so fucking slumming it. So it's post-2015. It's 2013. Oh. Oh, you said Avengers. It's post Avengers. Yeah. Like, yeah. In my head, I was thinking Force Awakens, not Avengers. No. So yeah. So it's 2013. Is it and it it was was it a critical flop? Yeah. Oh, even more so than a box office flop. It was a critical flop. And it's a legacy prequel. Yes. Is it um and it has Dave Franco's brother in it? It might have Dave Franco's so brother. So it's Oz the Great and it's Powerful Oz the Great by Raimi. Okay. Do you know who was supposed to play? Uh, Oz in that movie, but dropped have, out like right before filming started. I have no idea. I haven't seen the movie, so I've never listened oh, to the blank check. Bad. Sorry, that movie's bad. Uh, Downey Jr. Oh, really? Yeah. He decided he was going to go with um, Dr. Doolittle instead? And No, he decided he was just going to make Avengers movies instead. Yeah. No, I'm joking. Um, no, the, the, the premise of that movie is that Oz is like a carny magician. Who like hustles some people and tries to like flee in a in a balloon, yeah, and accidentally ends up in Oz. I actually knew I actually knew that yeah. was what the premise of it was, um, but yeah, I've never seen it. And again, like a movie that doesn't exist, forgot. But like that the that first like the first like fifteen minutes of that movie are him doing like a magic show while his like assistant picks people's pockets. That's like the whole thing with the Wizard of Oz. Is yeah, that it's like all bullshit. Yeah. Oh, yes. oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Do you and want to guess like, Indie Wires? Like, wins the day by like thinking like a magician and doing like cards on people in that movie. Have you seen the movie? Oz the Great and Powerful? Yeah. Twice. Is it as bad as the reputation would lead it? No, it's a little better than the reputation. Okay. Michelle Williams plays Glinda. Like it's not completely (laughs) worthless. Do you want to guess IndieWire's scariest high school movies? Scream. Yes, Scream's on the list. Carrie. Carrie's number one, number two. You got number one, number yeah. two. There's like no, 20. It's not hard. Um, Halloween. Yep, number four. Okay. Nightmare. Uh yes. 
okay. don't know what number it is. They're not numbered, but it's down there on the list. Okay. Um, how long can this keep doing this? Um, this is IndieWire, so they're not cool. So they're mm-hmm. not going to say, like, fucking Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou. No. Uh, what year is it? You're close, though. What year is it? If it's Prom Night 1, I'm fucking it's flipping Night the table. It's Prom Night 1 is the one. I'm fucking on the flipping list. the table. That movie is not good. <laughs> and no one likes it. <laughs> I think People it's just 2022. Put it on these lists. Let me check. It is 2022 by Samantha Bergson. Okay, it Bergson. follows. I think so. Fuck no. off. No. Fuck off. What? The the cult of it follows is like dying a slow death, and it makes me sad. It I think it died a fast death. No, it, it lingered for a few years. You think? I think Even, she's in college in that movie. She's not. She's a high schooler. I think she's in college. I've seen I think that she's movie in community college so many times. She's it looks school. like a community college. Though. It does not look like she's so a high school. schooler. Um, even the though thing walks the... across the quad at her. Yeah, some high schools have quads. Um, Bullshit. <laughs> she's a high schooler real? in that movie. I'm going to look it up right now. Um, she lives with her parents. Yeah, because they, she's they in community college. They all live with college. their parents. Because they're from Detroit. There's the whole scene where they talk about how their parents never wanted them to cross eight mile and actually go into urban Detroit. And now they're crossing eight mile and going into urban Detroit, which is not a conversation that would happen if they're adults who live with their parents. I think they're 19 year old freshmen in college. You're fucking, it does say college student here on the Wikipedia page. (laughs) God damn it. God damn it. God damn it. Um, Okay. Give me hints. Okay, you have um, a, a few of them were just on the Criterion channel. You got one from 98 and one from 96. The fucking craft. Yeah. It's not the scary. On there. Even the people who like the craft have to attest that Cole, the craft is, is not scary. There is one on here and you're going to lose your fucking mind. I know what it is because you said 98 and you said it was in that Criterion set. Uh, it's the faculty. Not that one. That one's not going to make you lose your mind. I'm but saying they... They included one as being scary that's going to make you like want to light the wire headquarters on fire. Can I say something with love and affection? About the faculty? A good movie that I like. No. (laughs) The Criterion Channel has been putting up these genre collections and like there's good stuff in the genre collections but but they really are are incredibly haphazard and thrown together and i think not up to the standards of criterion channel curation like collections that they've been like throwing up these past couple months just so they can like justify putting up a popular title uh yeah i think that's probably true yeah Doing the AI thing so they could justify having Johnny Mnemonic on there. Doing the bad high school collection so they could justify putting the craft on there. Right? Like, like the, the, these collections are kind of dodgy. And I would just like, just put the movie that's going to like get subscribers on. You're fine. I'd rather yeah, you just, do that just have a feature than have a feature film call section. Call Prom Night a great high school horror movie. Um, okay. So what's going to make me mad? we'll get to that at the end okay Um, so the 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 the, the craft and the faculty you have one that we've we there's one there's one from 2009 that i think jennifer's body 
Yeah, the better yeah, version. Great, of like incredible. Anything like great and a great high school movie. Yeah. Truly, truly like a good representation of a high school horror yes. movie wrapping yes. kind of all of that teen anxiety. Even if... And culture into it's into just film. it's just ginger snaps well that's another that's that's another film on the list not a great high school movie to be clear ginger snaps i don't think so um have you seen ginger snaps i have yeah yeah i love jennifer's body but it is just yeah lesbian ginger snaps which is well funny. in a sense hocus pocus is just neutered fright night with witches and not a vampire hey i'm, I'm just gonna say something Never fucking seen Hocus Pocus. And frankly, if you're an adult who still watches Hocus Pocus, you should feel ashamed of yourself. Oh, man. It's a good um, thing my girlfriend doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> is, um, it, is it a good thing, Connor? That sounds like a bad thing. What? That she watches Hocus Pocus? <laughs> no, that she, bad movie to, that she doesn't listen to your podcast. She doesn't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> so to her, it would just be a waste of five hours to listen to one episode of our podcast. Um <laughs> So they have like they have movies in here that aren't scary. Okay, like what? They like one it's... from two thousand eight. That's a vampire movie. Twilight. Yeah, but it's very high school. But it's not scary. It's not high school horror films or like high school. Yeah, I know it's scary as yeah. high school horror films. It's so they have that. They have one from nineteen eighty five. Right, that's a werewolf movie. Teen Wolf. Yes. Teen, Teen Wolf. wolf? Is that the one a... that's going to make me mad? Because I'm no, mad. no, 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 no. Oh my god! They have a comedy from 2020, starring Vince Vaughn. Oh, I like Freaky. Yeah. You know what the problem with Freaky is, though? A movie I like and saw in theaters. No, I, I, I'm sure I've I've banged this. I've banged the trips. I didn't even Freaky. know that movie was in theaters. Oh yeah, barely. Freaky is good, and Vaughn's very funny in it. But Freaky has the same problem that Shazam has, where. Vince Vaughn is doing a uh, oh, good yeah. generic performance of a teenage girl, but not but, the teenage girl. That, but Catherine yeah. Newton's giving like a really layered, interesting, nuanced performance before the body switch happens, and he doesn't feel like her at all. Yeah, which is the same problem with Shazam, where that kid's playing like an antisocial, depressed weirdo, and then Levi comes in and is just playing like a tom hanks and big you know it's funny how many movies have that issue yeah um it's why face off is great because they're just doing impressions yes. of each other that's literally like the freaky. reason freaky's why good freaky's yeah. good christopher landon's a good director um there's <laughs> there's a movie starring matthew mcconaughey from the 90s texas chainsaw massacre of the new generation <laughs> yes that's, that's not set in a high school is it i saw that once it stinks <laughs> I, I have absolutely no recollection why that is actually on the list. Okay, it we have stinks. a movie from 2000, which which I would suggest is good. 2000. It was it kind of became a phenomenon because of the concept of the movie, and it has like eight sequels. Phenom- uh, Final D. Yeah. Final Destination. Yeah. Final Destination. You know what movie rules? Final Destination. Yeah. You know what's the yeah. greatest American movie ever made? Not. It's not Final Destination. <laughs> Final Destination 2. <laughs> Which one is the one that it's like, surprise, it's a prequel. Is that Final four? Destination 5. 5. 5. Yeah. I remember Spoilers watching that five. and being like, holy shit. You're like tearing <laughs> yeah. your hair out. It's so good. 
I did just see Devin Sawa when the strike started though. I did just see Devin Sawa like was tweeting something that was like, I thought it was really cool that they did that in Final Destination Five, but I am in that movie and they did not pay me. Oh, uh, or even like get permission because you see archival footage of Devin Sawa, but not in like an archival oh, footage man. context in like a shot reverse shot context. They cut in footage from the first one to make it a yeah. prequel. That sucks. Um, I love Final Destination 1, but Final Destination 2 is fucking extraordinary. We have. So what have we gotten? There's a uh, Tate Taylor film from 2019. Ma. I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah. I never saw Ma. Um, there's a. A film from, let's see how if we've knocked them all off. Essentially, okay. It's a film from. I believe this is going to be our longest guest list episode. A film from 1986 with a punny title. Punny title. Yeah. What I don't what know if you've ever seen this. Uh, slasher. I think slasher. I've from never seen 86, it. so a yeah. little late. Yeah, there's a lot of slashers from 1986, my guy. <laughs> it's connected to the Corman filmmaking family. It's Corman. Produced by a member of the Corman Produced by not, not a Steph Rothman. Yeah. No, it's Chopping Mall from 1986. <gasps> oh, Chopping Mall rules. Chopping Mall's not a slasher. No, no, Chopping oh, Mall's not a slasher. Well, kind of. Do you know what Chopping Mall's about? No. Oh, first of all, fucking Jim Wynorski. Jim Wynorski movie Chopping Mall. You're, the connection you're making is that Warrenoff and uh, Arkish are in it. Um, Chopping Mall is about a bunch of teens who like sneak in to like an abandoned mall to like party one night, but the mall has like a new robot security guard that looks like a fucking Dalek from Doctor <laughs> Who. Like it's not like RoboCop. It's like like a like a like a trash can on wheels, and it just but starts been, killing them. It's been tampered with, so instead of like subduing them, it starts killing them. Oh man, that's uh, some Connor, Five, five you, Nights at Freddy. Shit yeah, if right Connor, there. if yeah. you're looking for something that's like seventy five minutes, really like funny and perverse and just like splattery for October season, Chopping Mall is. Okay. Like fucking rules. The brief description that I read with like no spoilers made it yeah. seem like it was a slasher. I mean, yes, it is. It is technically a slasher. It is like structured but like, like a, a traditional slasher. slasher like, but oh, there's not... a serial killer. Yeah, I was thinking like them. human killer. Yeah. Chopping balls about a robot. Um. Okay. So we got. That was a little later. Uh. You've got almost all of them. You have a 2006 film. I believe it's a remake. Uh, six. And it's a remake. And it's from yeah. 2006. Um, and it's not Black Christmas because that's famously about a sorority. Not Black um, Christmas. That movie's so good. All, all three Black Christmases are incredible. Um, 2006 remake. But it's not The Omen. No. And it's not Black Christmas. No. Directed by Simon West. Directed by Simon West? Yeah. That's not a real director. I hate Simon West. Um, what's the subgenre? He made a um, horror movie in 2006? Yeah, he didn't wait, make The Covenant, did he? Is it The Covenant? The, it's no, not that was Renny Harlan. Renny Harlan it's, uh, it's listed as psychological horror. Psychological horror. High schoolers, yeah. 2006. Who's the in original it? film is from 1979. 1979? It star this the, the remake stars Camila Bell, Brian Garrity, Katie Cassidy, Tessa Thompson, and Clark Gregg. Tessa Thompson? Yeah. Tessa Thompson is secretly old. 
Tess Thompson not is to be rude. Years I just what? Tess Thompson is 40 years old. I know, right? That yeah. that's older than you think Tessa Thompson would be, right? Definitely, definitely. Both in terms of like how she looks and like fame level. Um, I don't think I know what this is. I believe the villain is played by two actors, Tommy Flanagan and Lance Hendrickson. Lance Hendrickson? Yeah. What is this? It's When a Stranger Calls, 2006. Oh, I've never seen that one. Um, So you got... done the one that's going to make me mad? No. Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm waiting for it. I don't think you've guessed this one, but what teen horror movie came out in 2018? Star someone we've talked about a lot on this episode or at least talked about in this episode is in not a high school movie is in the 2011 movie it's not a high school movie it's hereditary yeah yeah there's a scene in a high school where someone hits their head yeah um okay connor i think this is the best game you've ever done i'm having so much fun i know we've been going for like 30 (laughs) minutes i'm having listeners i'm uh, this is like the well it's about i could ever have it's about to come to an end because you have one film left, and it's from okay. 2005. And it's not The Covenant, which is the, the gay Covenant. remake of The Craft. And I would say, if you're going to guess a horror movie, you are incorrect. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, so it's not The Fog, is what you're talking <laughs> High School, 2005. Not a horror movie. But on the scariest high school. So there's film. a monster of some sort in it. I just shrugged. For those it's not like ones. fucking Sky High or fucking... Not what's the high. other one about superhero teens? High There's school. another one from 2005 about superhero teens? Yeah. Um, there's Sky it's High. It's not that. It's not that. Sorry, I gotta look up what this is called. Um, it, it... There is a... There is monster iconography in one scene. Zoom. It's called Zoom. There, there, are oh. two, there are two movies about like high school superhero I high school. I knew that one existed, but I, I, I yeah. put that deep down in my. In oh, my Adam Rifkin wrote Zoom. Zoom's probably good. Adam Rifkin's cool. Doesn't it? Uh, doesn't it? Um, who's the star? Tim Allen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Weird. And Kurt Russell's in Sky High. Yeah. Uh, the year before, he's in the best movie he'll ever make in his entire career. <laughs> okay. It's 2005. No, that's Bridges, not Russell. I'm dumb. Never mind. Bridges is in Stick It. You ever seen Stick It? Yes, I have seen Fucking, Stick It. What a we good movie. What a good it. movie. I think about Stick I would it say, all the time. I would say that this movie on the list shares more with Stick It than it does with any other movie that we've talked about. Well, they hadn't rebooted Bring It On as a slasher movie yet. It's not a sequel. It's not Are a you reboot. aware that's a thing that they did last year? No. They rebooted Bring It On as a slasher movie? As a slasher movie? It's not a sequel. It's 2005. It's Aquamarine. No. Am I close? There is one scene in the movie that has monster iconography. That is monster iconography. Who's in this movie? For one scene in the movie. Who's in this movie? Have I seen this movie? You, I guarantee you, see this movie. Two thousand and five. It's not give the village because I don't want to make. I don't want to make it. I don't want to make it too easy. So it's not the village because that's what came it's out. Not the village. Um, Neil Flynn is in this movie. Neil Flynn, <laughs> that doesn't help. 
<laughs> if I name anybody else in this movie, it's gonna be so. Who obvious. directed this I, movie? You gotta give me a second. I gotta see if there's any other. It's not Shark Boy and Lava Girl. No, it's not Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Is it a um, movie for kids? Like, is it like a dumb movie for babies? It's a movie that... for teenagers. It, is it a movie, a movie that is on this list for nostalgia purposes? Anna Gastier is in this movie. Gastier. Gastier. I love her. What was she in in 2005? Fuck. I don't know what this is. Tim Meadows is in this movie. No. Mean Girls came out in 2004. Ooh. It's not. Mean Ooh. Girls came out in, I thought Mean Girls came out in 2004. <laughs> it did. It's listed on here as 2005 for some reason. And it's scary because of the one scene yep. where Lindsay Lohan's dressed up like yep. the Bride of Frankenstein. Yep. It's not the Bride of Frankenstein. She's like a murder witch. I think she's the is she not the Bride of Frankenstein? No, because she's got like warts and stuff on her. I got. I'm gonna look at it right now. That sucks I just so bad. The the only I was like, there's actually the nothing that's gonna be worse than fucking um, Hereditary, a, not a high school movie on this list. But oh my god, that movie's like okay, right? Oh, yeah, that movie's like good. Uh, I don't know. She might be the Bride of Frankenstein. That I movie's think she's just like a really, zombie bride. That movie has like really good performances in it. But like it's like that's like what it's got going for it. Mean Girls, yeah. I will do it on the pod one day. I'll make you do original with season. the woman that I known yeah. in my life. I I've 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 never found it to be funny, and I've I've only found it to like be especially irritating and kind of here's here, moments of my life that i would like to forget <laughs> here's what i'll say is that rachel mcadams is great in that movie she is yeah you know who's better in that movie amanda seyfried is that who you're gonna say yes amanda seyfried when's she bad Ooh, i don't know when... i haven't seen a good amount of her like is she good in that red riding hood movie that she's in probably like, i don't know i've never oh, yeah, seen she's fa- she's she is a very good actor. She is a wonderful actor. Does not get the credit that she's due. Like ever. you know who you know who she's about to work with again? Fucking the no. homie Adam McGoyan. Oh. Yeah. I didn't yeah, wow. Because she 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 was in a Chloe. Do you like her in Mank? Like yeah, she's fucking incredible. Do you kind of adore Mank? adore the work that she does in Mank. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think that movie's good, but she's extraordinary in Mank. She's kind of astounding. Yeah, it's a, it's incredible. Yeah. Should she have won the Oscar? No. That's a that's a that's that's like one of the few times the right person yeah. won the Oscar in recent history. But like, she's pretty great in Mank. Um. Okay, I'm looking at the list right now, and it's essentially like. Mean Girls belongs to be there because they're so mean to each other. Also, can I say something about Amanda Seyfried? Oh, we missed one. We missed one. We did miss one. Oh, what we completely. Missed? 2007. It was like the when Netflix first got big. It was like the movie that everybody was like, "Have you seen this Let, movie? You can get right it from Netflix." Ends? No, no, no. It's a, a smaller. It, it was a Sundance film, I believe. Sundance film from two thousand seven. About high I believe school. it was a Sun. If it wasn't a Sundance film, it was it was that magnitude of independent horror that we're talking about here. Um, Disturbia. Very allegorical. No, smaller than Distur- Disturbia. Smaller than Disturbia. Very allegorical about high schoolers. Yeah, I have no idea who's in it. Teeth. Two thousand teeth. Yeah. Oh, that's a blockbuster classic, my guy. I love teeth. 
I remember that specifically the beginning of Netflix, everybody being like, have you seen? Teeth? Oh, interesting. You can get oh. It from Netflix. Yeah. Um, you know, teeth rules. I love Jess Wexler. Um, can I just say one last thing about Amanda Seyfried and then we have to stop this podcast we've been going for <laughs> yeah. three hours and 20 minutes. Go for it. Um, Amanda Seyfried, best female performance in a Paul Schrader movie. Oh. Which I know you're all about to make your jokes. I actually think there's like pretty stiff competition for that title. I, I do. I, no, I had to think about it for a second. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. She's so fucking good. In first you form. love Tiffany Haddish, though. That's what I'm saying is we yeah. have, we have, we, we, okay. Like, this is what I say is you're like, okay, scoff, scoff, scoff. No, no, I'm not scoffing. Paul Schrader, like, Paul Schrader yeah. makes boy movies, but season Hubley and hardcore mm-hmm. fucking uh, Natasha Richardson and Patty Hearst. Um, and Tiffany Haddish in the card counter, Susan Sarandon in um, Light Sleeper. Like Richardson in The Comfort of Strangers is also Richardson in The Comfort yeah. of Strangers, a movie that might come up on this podcast. And um, in a and few um, weeks. and um, what's her name? Also in Comfort of Strangers, uh, Helen Mirren. Yeah, Helen Mirren. Yeah. So the, the, this is just my point. Oh, Sissy Spacek and Affliction, right? Like, yeah. I know where like Paul Schrader makes like movies about guys. <laughs> um, so I'm not being snarky when I say that. I actually do think there's a lot of competition, but I think Seyfried is just fucking next level in first form. I also really like Tiffany Haddish in uh, in Card Counter. The Card Counter. Did you see the that the counter. The Card Counter. Did you see that the next Paul Schrader movie has wrapped production? No, I didn't even know there was one in production. Yep. Um, I'll just say real quick, I also like Lauren Hutton in American Gigolo. Um, Lauren Hutton's no, got American has, Gigolo. Yeah. He has one that uh, that wrapped production. Yep. Recently. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. And then, inshallah, he's going to make the David Mamet. Uh, Starring JFK Richard Gere. And Jacob Elordi. Interesting. Uh, no, I know this wrapped because a, a photo of Jacob Elordi in the movie has been circling. Like a publicity photo. I wonder, it, it says it's supposed to take place during Vietnam. I wonder if Richard Gere plays like the older version of Jacob Elordi. Possibly. Jacob Elordi plays him in flashback. We have to call it. I'm starving. I'm gonna like pass out. Yeah. Um that's our show. Uh that was the Fright Night episode. Oh my god. Guys, Um, we're so sorry for this uh (laughs) please remember this string of movies we've been on. Please remember to rate review subscribe. Um please tell a friend if you like the show, caught or plug the Instagram. At above the title pod. Um yeah, we'll be back next week with something I fuck. Or possibly we have talked about it already. Ooh, I can't remember. <laughs> um, until then, uh, fuck Ken Loach. Something up like a lice. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. And I've been waiting.